0: Hello, I am Sarah Ruffai, the Woman Warrior Lawyer. And today, my guest is Brayson Verzella. Brayson, would you introduce yourself briefly, please?
1: Hi, yeah, like she said, my name is Brayson. Um, I am in the real estate industry here in the San Antonio, Texas area. Uh, That's what I've been doing for, I guess, over 15 years at this point. And uh, most recently, I entered into, I think, a space of growth uh, within the Tony Robbins organization. That's been really fun for me. Um, Joined Platinum Partnership in 2016, um, got heavy, heavy, heavy into cryptocurrency in early 2017. And now I just, you know, um, I try to live a life of, I would say, pursuing my passions and, and living life and letting my work revolve around that as opposed to what I used to do, which was working nine to five, whatever the case may be, uh, being the last person to leave the office and then living my life, you know, based around my work, um, I found that I'm a lot happier this way. So maybe we'll talk about that a little bit, too.
0: Well, actually, why don't we start there with the
1: uh, because
0: I also lived at the office and my life was kind of what I did occasionally when I had time. So what changed for you? What was your aha moment that there is more to life than inside the office or just the work world?
1: I mean, that's probably one of my more recent realizations. Um, and, And I think it just came through doing the things that I enjoy doing, regardless of, you know, Uh, I guess the expectations that I would have put on myself of the whole working nine to five. And then just kind of finding that if I live my life based more on outcomes, as opposed to setting these expectations of I should put, you know, I should be in front of a computer doing real estate, or or I should be out there doing real estate 40 hours a week. Um, I said, well, why not just kind of create some goals maybe or a lifestyle that revolves just completely around outcomes. And if one of the biggest goals you have is to impact others, then create, you know, a lifestyle that allows you to interact with others um, as often as you want. And if you're, you know, one of your other ma- major goals is to always be able to comfortably afford your life, then why not, you know, just set some even subconscious goals based around How am I going to ensure that I'm consistently creating revenue, profit, income, whatever you want to call it um, in whatever, you know, in whatever method I deem necessary that day. And so now I live a life where I take advantage of opportunities when they come in the real estate space. Um, I create, you know, uh, I guess a reason for people to approach me in the real estate uh, space through leveraged marketing. Uh, I used to be on the phone at eight o'clock in the morning and, you know, I'd put in my two or three hours of lead generation, what we call it in the real estate business. And I would, I would inevitably end up speaking with some people that wanted to do business, but you know, that was definitely a life that you're going to be on the phones for two or three hours in the morning. And, you know, you're kind of setting yourself up just simply through your own expectations uh, for that nine to five lifestyle. And so now I, I, more or less field, you know, uh, my inbound phone calls from people who want to sell their house. Um, I field, you know, inbound, um, I would say people like voicemails or otherwise from people who want to buy a house. And then through leverage, you know, I send them to somebody on my team who specializes in the buyer side. And because I've kind of opened myself up to other things, I'm also able to go on to, you know, any given exchange in the digital asset space, uh, which is fun for me. And so this is not even really like a job. It's more like I I love learning about it. I'm always learning. And, you know, I don't think you can ever stop learning, especially in a space that never stops growing and evolving. Uh, And we're so early in it. Um, But it allows me to go in and create, you know, more revenue, more profit, more income, doing what I like, which is predicting the direction of any digital currency, you know, is Bitcoin going to go up? Is Bitcoin going to go down? And then I can go in and and essentially make money off of having a better understanding than most of which direction is it going to go by how much, when do I enter? When do I exit my trade? Um, I can use leverage to accelerate the results. And uh, now there's, you know, other technologies like crazy, you know, names like pancake swap exchange, which is a part of a a Binance smart chain. Um, They have decentralized exchanges, which are are pretty much run by, you know, algorithms and protocols and and not really managed by people, which is insane. Um, And there's kids, like I just found out last night, I was up late last night in my discord chat. I found out there's kids, there's a 13 year old child, you know, that made $500,000 $500,000 from doing these trades on the finance smart chain using pancake swap. And when I just say that to myself, it sounds insane. And I go, I think to myself, why, why am I doing, you know, why have I been doing real estate to, to try to over the course of a year derive the same level of profit as a 13 year old kid that did it, you know, since this has been around, which is probably like six to nine months that it's been, you know, approaching mainstream within that group of people. You know, I mean, obviously it's nowhere near mainstream, but like, it, it's just kind of that, ver- you know, that section of the cryptoverse, we'll call it has just become mainstream for the people that are really, really into it, that, that researched it and found out how to do it. But when I heard a 13 year old had a half a million dollars that they created, I, I'm just, you know, I'm amazed. They can lose it as quickly as they made it, but it's amazing that they did it in the first place.
0: Well, and that's where my lawyer hat goes on saying, how did a 13 year old get into this space when they don't have the legal capacity to do so, but that's an issue for a different day.
1: Yeah, that's going to turn into a great Facebook post. I I just, I don't know how I'm going to word it, but I'm going to put that out. (laughs) (laughs) While you're out there doing your job for your paycheck, just know that a 13-year-old kid made $500,000 in six months off of pancake swap.
0: (laughs) And a cool half million for playing on the computer.
1: And the government probably doesn't know about it, (laughs) which is more insane.
0: I'm sure they probably do. Their computers know everything, right?
1: Yeah. I mean, I would take the NSA, but you might be right. (laughs)
0: So you talked about a number of different things in there that are, are really cool. And I guess the first thing was getting on the phone for two hours a day. And now it's the calls coming in. And if I heard you correctly, that's kind of like your shift between having to be tied to the office and focusing Mm -hmm. on the outcomes. Right. Right what steps did you take or when, how did you realize that I don't have to do it the same way that I've always done it to get a better result?
1: Well, I mean, I've always tried to work smarter, not harder. As soon as I heard that saying, I said, well, that's smart. (laughs) (laughs) Somebody Um, was thinking. Somebody was thinking when they came up with that one. (laughs) So, um, you know, I've always agreed with that and I've always tried to find ways to, to be leveraged right if, if i don't have to be there or if this can be done for me i didn't always think that way but you know like just the simple things if i had to mow my grass and trim my yard you know um, I, I live on about a third of an acre but it's kind of intricate you know it's got the pool it's got shrubs mulch flowers little things right if i had to just put time into that every month to keep it the way that it looks now without the leverage of having the lawnmower guys come, like that would eat up a part of my life. And that's kind of like a simple adjustment that I think almost anybody can make, right? For 80 bucks a month, I get out of having to mow my whole lawn twice. Um, And so that became a very, very simple answer. And then um, the pool guy, I have a pool guy come, you know, that's a little more expensive. I think I pay like $120, (coughs) excuse me, but I pay $120. So the pool guy can come and do what they do to keep my pool nice and, you know, beautiful without me ever having to worry about it. Like, is it balanced? You know, is it gonna turn green? Like, I don't have those problems and I can swim in it in a moment's notice when the time is right. I can invite family or friends over and we can swim and I just don't have to worry about it. And uh, I think they might even come over once every week, you know, to do that. And so, you know, once again, I was like, that's me buying probably about four hours of my life back per month, assuming that I could even do the pool stuff as well as they could do it. Um, And uh, I do the same thing with housekeeping. You know, I have a a lady that comes over and she's happy to have, you know, the work and she comes over every two weeks, Uh, super affordable, another, you know, 250 bucks a month. And my laundry gets done, folded, back, my house is vacuumed, you know, my floors are mopped, all, all that good stuff that like makes your house feel like a hotel when you walk into it, you know, at least the day after she's done.
0: Or the day <laughs> um, she's done. <laughs> you
1: know, or the day she's done, yeah. Like once my son and I get a hold of it, it, it doesn't stay that way for too long. But you know, like once again, like that would take me, that's even longer because she works faster than I do and everything else. So to me, like all that stuff would take me like probably eight hours a, uh, a month, you know, to to try to keep up with her. And I probably wouldn't even get to like clean my showers the way she does, or do my floors the way she does. It would be like sixty percent as good as what she does. I'd probably be missing out on some of the antibacterial, you know, cleaning. I would just kind of do the bare minimums where it looks good, but it's not as clean as she makes it. So. Anyway, my point being is like, those are all leverage points that I think the average person can plug into their life. And everything I just mentioned, you know, is, is pretty reasonable per month for the time it gives back to you. And so I decided in real estate, I want to find a way to, you know, make sure I keep the most people uh, abreast of my presence. Just I'm here, I'm available. I'm happy to talk to you about selling your home. Um, from a past client perspective uh, as possible, I want to do the same thing with, you know, current opportunities that present themselves. I want to leverage the internet marketing. And then I think, um, you know, once you plug in a good admin team, you know, once you have the work, there's so much that they can take off your plate from putting together your contracts for you, emailing stuff for you, like so many things, um, on, in the real estate world if you don't do the buy side, like I most of the time don't do the buy side. Um, I have, you know, a couple agents on the team that they go out there and and they show buyers and they're able to be available and, and they'll go show if needed, you know, I don't encourage it, but if needed, you know they'll show somebody 15 homes or they'll show over the span of two months to find that person the right home. And in this market, you know, unfortunately I'm trying to help them get as efficient as they can get in this regard but in this market they're you know they're making offers three four five times in some cases before the buyer that they're working with actually gets the house that they want because supply and demand is so ridiculous right now competition for any given home that's available is so ridiculous that um, you know we're trying to find ways to leverage their time you know which is like it's It's me leading by example, but the market conditions are making it challenging for them. So I'm also trying to help them live the same life that I'm living, which is, you know, if you're going to put your time into something, then go after that 80-20 principle and understand that, you know, 80% of your results are going to come from 20% of your work. So do the right things. And, um, you know, I'm trying to help them become efficient too.
0: Well, and I would think that part of that efficiency is developing systems and processes so that you maximize the time that you spend with the potential, or that they would spend with the potential buyer saying, right. okay, what exactly do you want so we can narrow it, but also keeping your, your finger on the pulse, if you will, of what's coming down the, the pipeline. Because I know up here, yeah. offers are usually received and accepted before a sign goes out on the, in the yard or That's before crazy. it goes up on the listing.
1: Yeah, I believe it. Yep. It's, it's kind of the same here. I mean, we, we have a lot that don't make it to the market. Yep. So
0: when you do that, um, I happen to know following your Facebook page that you have been one of the top real estate groups in the, the San Antonio area for, is it seven years right. in a row? Nine years. Nine years? Yeah,
1: is it nine? Eight years. This will be our ninth. Yeah.
0: So quite a while. Yeah. And I'm at what point was it before that hitting that success level is when you decided to kind of shift more? And I get the fact that it was always focused on the outcome, but kind of shifting your perspective on how you work to maximize your time and, and your life to find the balance?
1: I think it was more honestly um, since 16, like since date with destiny, probably with the Tony stuff, the Tony Robbins organization. Um, when I really kind of just subconsciously took in the fact that success without fulfillment is the ultimate failure. I said, well, I'm pretty successful, you know by like most people's standards, so to speak but if i'm not like truly happy or my day-to-day life is not exciting or maybe not fulfilling and i feel like it's routine and you know maybe i just need more uncertainty because one of the things he always says is your you know your quality of your life is directly correlated to the amount of uncertainty you can comfortably handle and maybe i had just put myself in a position of there's too much certainty in my life and Even though I thought I was a person that thrived in uncertainty, I I wasn't anywhere near my potential of how uncertain I can make my life. (laughs) So so I decided to go pretty heavy in, in that direction of let me bring more uncertainty in my life. What happens if I let go a little bit of my real estate identity, which I was already a little, you know, withdrawn from? But what happens if, you know, just especially from you know 2016 and that date with destiny? But even before that, like what happens if I start to like just withdraw from my identity specifically as a realtor and I start allowing myself to drift into whatever directions I'm energetically pulled toward or attracted to, you know, whether it's masterminds, whether it's, you know, some people might look at me and think like, oh, he's kind of like life coach-ish. Um, he talks about things that have to do with energetic vibration. Um Maybe it's uh, crypto, you know, maybe it's just masterminding about business or finance or fulfillment in general and kind of sharing with people that there's another way to look at life. So I just decided to detach, you know, from that identity, I think. and, And it gave me permission to, you know, with that mindset shift, it gave me permission to go on to social media and instead of you know, sharing how hard I work and how many homes I've sold and look, we just listed this and we just sold that and just trying to create this image that I work so hard. uh, It gave me permission to do something a little different, which is go on social media and talk about how I see more value in working a lot less and being at, you know, like one of my favorite places to be at the spa and to be in the steam room and to be enjoying the heated pool on a beautiful day I use their gym facilities at at my spa and, uh, it's like my health club, you know, it's called a spa, but it's, it's really like my health club. I go there, I row, I do my cardio, I do my weights and I'm just immersed in this environment of beauty, you know, and they happen to do massages and different things. Yeah, but But isn't that part of your health? It's like a whole health club. It feeds your, I think that all that beautiful scenery, like when you immerse yourself in beautiful environments, you know, I, do, I try to do the same in, in my backyard, you know, at my home. Um, I just believe like it just kind of feeds your soul and it allows you to rejuvenate in those places. And so a lot of people don't pay much attention to that and or nor do they give themselves time to, you know, to go and, and really rejuvenate their soul. And so I just found it really free like freeing I guess that I was able to go on social media, you know, recently, and just talk about how low my expenses have gotten, how things have really changed for me in that regard. Nothing's really changed financially. I'm still comfortable. Everything's still, you know, great. Um, I've definitely let go of any kind of belief I had that that money equals happiness, which I think a lot of you know our current society um, has a misunderstanding that money equals happiness. If I have more money, I'll be more happy. So let me go and work harder or find the thing that pays more. And then for sure, I'll be happy. But if that was the case, we wouldn't have nearly as many celebrity suicides as we have. Um, and so, uh, to be able to get on social media, knowing that I have seller clients and and people that, you know, like I did that post, the one that you're talking about at the, yep. the spa, um, while I'm friends with, you know, Facebook friends with a a lady that had her home listed with me. And so where a lot of realtors are afraid to be real and just say like, I'm at the spa and I'm enjoying life, um, you know, because that client, you know, in their own mind, they might feel that that client is going to be expecting them to be working hard behind a computer in a cubicle, getting their home sold. I just kind of take pride in, in the fact that I realize that those clients don't really care how many hours you put into their home. And even if they do, it's not nearly to the extent of how much they care about the outcome you create for them. So that, that particular client listed her home for 425. We had many offers. She's going to sell it for 437. Um, And um, she could care less, you know, if, if, if I put 80 hours behind it, if I brought her, a $405,000 sales price, she'd be disappointed. But if I, if I told her, you know, I worked very little and it's not that I didn't work. I just put things to work for me, right? People, money. Work
0: differently. You work smarter, not harder,
1: right? Yeah. All those things, all those things got put to work for her, even though it wasn't just my physical body digging ditches and, you know, expending that kind of energy, so to speak, to, to get the result. We still got it, it was just through a strategic distribution of energy, wisdom, systems, technology, experience. And that created the result to where she has an offer that's, you know, $12,000 above asking price. She had numerous offers, people driving in from Austin because her exposure was so great. Um, and the person that is buying her home was willing to waive their appraisal for up to $17,000. So if this home came, you know, if the appraisal came in and it only came in at 420, they're fine with overpaying by $17,000. It's only if the appraisal came in under 420 that maybe we'd start opening up conversation for potential renegotiation. Um, But, you know, we didn't really just look out for her pricing, we looked out for her terms because my goal is to put people under contract but also to create the, the least you know, amount of friction for the next three or four weeks you know, through to closing. So she's already through repair negotiations. And, and a lot of it is just because I have you know, a great team that takes care of a lot of things they need my input on certain things. But once they have it, just like on a Slack channel or a Skype channel, they're just like, you know, what does he say about this? I put my little two cents in, or, or I say like, this is the decision that we're gonna make. Um, that's, that's that 20%, like they just needed that statement from me to go and do their thing. And now they put it to work, they put it on paper, they they do what needs to be done. They deal with the other agents, you know, half the time and we create the outcome. And all that matters to me is everybody in the transaction, even the buyer side, which I don't work for or have any allegiance to. um, But, you know, we want to create a smooth experience for them. Like we want everybody to just say man, you know, it was great working with you. You know, everything was pretty smooth. There were no surprises. And then the seller looks at me and says, it was great working with you. As usual, you got us $12,000 over what I thought was already too high of a price. And, uh, and it happened in, you know, like before the first weekend that the listing was even up, we had it up on a Tuesday and we had like already decided on, you know, the one offer we were going to take out of five um, by Thursday. And then, you know, unfortunately I had numerous agents call me after through that weekend and there's like, man, I wish you would have, uh, I wish it would have stayed on the market longer because you know, my, my clients were interested and I'm like, I know it's just, it's that kind of market. <laughs> my apologies. And I hope we can work together in the future.
0: <laughs> well, it's kind of like the quick and the dead, but what you were just talking about in terms of not putting a ton of time into it, because you have all of these other things that you would put in place kind of reminds me of the analogy of somebody asking a contractor, can I borrow your tools to build my deck because you want too much money? Well, it's not just (laughs) the the tools and the materials. It's the training, the design, the education, the knowledge, the skill and everything else that went into it that makes that deck so expensive. So your analogy is I, how you do business is really inspirational because you've invested all of that energy and time into developing that platform that allows your whole team, not just you, to benefit from it right. and that you're involved where you need to be involved.
1: Yeah. And this, this past year was, you know, it brought our team closer together um, because everybody... I think, I mean, I was in many different groups and, you know, masterminds like uh, based around pivot, you know, the, because of the shift and because of the pandemic. And it was like, how do you, how do you get a, the PPP loan if that's what you need to do? You know, there was, everybody was basically, you know, kind of panicking, seeing what they needed to do when COVID-19 hit. And what I remember was, I'm gonna attack all my expenses, you know, Um, I'm going to reduce everything I can. One of my biggest ones was a 3,300 square, uh, excuse me, a $3,300 a month, like 1,200 square foot commercial office space. And my team was like, not really excited about showing up given they could get sick, you know, from Corona and spread it and, you know, all the different fears that were out there. So I said, if you guys aren't going to plan on showing up, like I'm month to month on this thing. Um, I, you know, I show up because I'm paying 3,300 bucks a month, but like, it's a nice place, but if nobody's going to show up, this is a, this is a space that's for a team. So I'm just going to go ahead and get rid of it, you know, if that's the case. And so that week I went in and, you know, I, I did have movers to help with the bigger stuff and breaking down the cubicles. But I do remember, you know, that week was more physically demanding on me than, you know, from a work perspective than, any week in a long time, because I, I had to break down all the little stuff, I had to pack everything, I took it all, you know, to the to a storage. But now instead of paying, you know, 3300 a month, I'm paying like 105, you know, for a little air conditioned storage that I have all that stuff in there. And one day, you know, it doesn't look like anyone's super excited about having to go back to a physical office. So it's like, if the production's there, and you guys are all still doing the things that you need to do to deliver outcomes, then why, why why should we add, you know, another big expense to the books, to, to my books, you know, um, I, sh- I should instead focus on how to make you more productive in the virtual environment we already have, and I have to assume I'm working with people that are motivated to be productive, so you just, if that's the case, then you just need to know how, you know, like, how do I make more out of what I have?
0: And with that shift, because that's one of the the things that I've been watching and thinking about mm-hmm. in terms of culture, mm-hmm. um, I know that there are a number of businesses around our area. One is a, an insurance company that took mm-hmm. over a Walmart store because Walmart put up a new facility. So this mm-hmm. insurance company took over a Walmart space, made it their call center, and when Corona hit and everything shut down, they sent everybody home. And they found that because they don't have the water cooler conversations anymore, even though people are at home and may not be as focused on what they're supposed to do as they would have been at work, they haven't lost anything in production. So now they're not going to resume that space. And that makes economic sense, but it's got me thinking about their culture. And how do you keep your culture in a virtual space? And how do you groom new team members to be at the same level that the rest of your team is when they were trained as a cohesive group in that physical space? Have you thought yeah. about that one? Or
1: I mean, I think, um, I think that's probably one of the bigger challenges, you know, for any business is to like, how do we bring someone new on who hasn't? you know been with us and then teach them how to get results but one thing you know so it is a challenge i think you just you have to assess motivation make sure that they're truly motivated and then uh, you know measure results like right you're why didn't you sell any houses it's like okay you either showed up or you didn't if you did show up then did you make the calls if you made if you made the calls then there's a challenge with your conversion. So maybe we just need to put some time into conversion. And now you have systems that keep track of the calls they made, how much time you know they had on, on like dialing systems and so forth. Um, so it's really easy, I would say in that regard, to just say look, that person either shows up and does the work or they don't. If they do, then it's just conversion. If they don't, then it's motivation. Maybe it's just a bad fit because a lot of people, you know, claim to be interested in making good, great money. Like that's the, it's probably the main motivator that people will claim to be motivated to to make good money and, and so forth. But it's interesting because you give them an opportunity and, and maybe it's better than any opportunity that they've ever had, but yet people work harder for other companies like, like a corporation that says you have to go there from nine to five than they'll ever work for themselves in most cases. And that's always... Been you know a bit confusing because my model of the world is different. You know, I'm like, well, why wouldn't you work, you know, at least half as hard as you'd work at a corporate job, knowing that if you just put in 20 hours a week, like 20 true work hours a week, doing the things that we're teaching you to do, let's just say in this real estate job, then you'd make way more money than you would at that corporate job where you have to work 40 hours more intense, probably dealing with more people that you don't want to deal with probably having to leave your home, you know, every day to and from gas money, all these things. And yet that's still, I bet uh, a challenge, you know, for a lot of people. One thing I I would say um, that I found out, you know, and and I guess it's kind of a part of that subject is for my, our relationships were tested. You know, I I think probably even if my agents and, and especially my admin, you know, didn't realize it. I think, and I, I'd say this for probably any business owner, the business owner has to ask themselves, like if I don't know what the world is going to bring in the next 30 days or 60 days or 90 days, <clears throat> I don't even know if my state government or my city government is going to allow us to show homes. Like what if San Antonio says, realtors are not allowed to show homes anymore because you could get people sick and we could all die and you know, whatever, like that was on the table. And it turned out that we were considered essential. And so we were able to, but there were moments in time when, excuse me, as I was going through the, um, profit and loss. And as I was going through my expenses, there were moments in time where I looked at every single line item and there were some that were really easy to scrap. I said, well, scrap that, scrap that. Haven't even gotten any business from that in probably a year. Scrap that like all these different places. And then you come to your people and you're like, okay this person, they're on the team, they cost this much to keep them on the team. I don't even know what they're doing every day because now we're at home. I used to be able to see them. I used to be able to say, they show up, they work 40 hours a week. But again, once you make that shift in your mind of what type of outcomes does this person produce for you on a monthly basis? And maybe even equally as important, what do you not have to do because of this person's presence on your team? And is that worth the X amount of dollars per month that you're paying? I was like, man, even if I was saving this money because that person wasn't there, all the extra things I would have to do and be responsible for that I hate, that I'm not good at, like those remain unchanged. So why would I, like, I, I need to be near starving. <laughs> and Like I need to be, be like really, really about to go on welfare or something to, to you know, or teetering on bankruptcy, whatever the case is to like ever think about letting go of this person. And when every person on my team, as I went through that list was, was at that level of indispensability, I thought to myself, all right, we just go from here, you know, like, unless it gets so bad that I can't afford them, then let's just keep going because that person still makes your life way, way better. And, and it's still the same right now. Um, we live in that virtual environment. And I'd venture to say that my team is also way more outcome based than than they are like work based. If, if I say I pay this person salary based on like my old school mindset of because she works, give or take 40 hours a week for me. Um, I, I have no way to measure that, but I've stopped caring because I just simply look at what do I now not have to do? What can I just kind of delegate in a moment's notice um, because that person exists and they're on my team. And now is that worth the trade? And it actually, it it actually simplifies your business relationship and your hiring decisions, you know, by multiple orders of magnitude, (laughs) hundred X, you know, easy to, to make that decision.
0: So how long have your team members been on your team? have they been
1: with you for years uh, yeah except for one um as of right now you know we have one guy on the team um he's an agent and uh he had been on the team for uh but since about september i guess you know i basically like had my first conversation with him like june of 2020 so i was like hiring in the middle of a pandemic you know if the relationship was right but the beauty of My agents on my team too, you know, when you talk about how do you keep your culture, I think, you know, you you do your best and it has everything to do with how motivated is the person you're bringing on because talent will weed themselves in and, you know, non-talent will weed themselves out through lack, lack of presence, lack of results or otherwise. But one thing that I've done that makes it really easy because I've just i just decided I don't want a lifestyle of I need to babysit people and I need to send them progress reports and fill this out and tell me what you did. And, you know, like, that's great. Probably leads to a lot more business if you live that life. But I like to be at the spa. I like to like be working on my health. I like to be messing with cryptocurrency. I don't I don't want to spend that much time, you know, trying to make my real estate business that level of efficient, Um, you know? So it's okay with me if there's some inefficiencies, but one thing that I look for in my relationships with buyer's agents is just simple profit and loss. How much does it cost me to have you on my team knowing that this is the expense, even if you brought in nothing? And I've got it based on the brokerage I'm at and, and the different things that we do. It's like with the newest guy, just for instance, I might pay, you know, I mean, and another thing is how much time and resources from your staff, you know, do they absorb? Are they always asking questions? And then like six months later, they've still not done a thing or maybe they don't bring in much, but they also don't ask for much. They don't take much time. They don't take much resources from anybody. Right. So that I think comes into the, into the picture too. But when I found out that, you know, having this extra guy on my team and taking the risk with him was so inexpensive, even if he brought in nothing, it's like if somebody brings in nothing, but they're only 50 bucks a month, then can you afford to give that person a chance for quite a bit longer, knowing that in one home sale, like if they sold a house the 12th month of that year, and then they hit their stride, knowing that you'd only be out maybe 600 bucks over the course of the whole year could you afford to do that knowing that the average price of a home sale in San Antonio is probably about 300,000, commission would be about 9,000, divided by 2 on a traditional agent split would be 4,500 minus whatever little expenses your office has which at mine are very minimal now cuz I'm at real broker which has some, you know, nice nice uh, arrangements but would that $4,500 supposing you're on a 50/50 type of split because of what you provide your agents with that forty five hundred dollars minus the six hundred for the whole year that you waited for this agent to do something, would that thirty nine hundred in profit be worth it? I was like, yeah, that, like it almost makes it like easy just to have somebody and and just like you know as long as they really want to be there. And so actually, we had that conversation a few months in. You know, he's I think he's able to sustain life. You know, he's he's like he he's a person that. Yeah, he wants to make money in real estate, but he's not like, he's not going to be driven and motivated by the fact that he has no money, right? He happens to like have some, have some money, has some uh, funds and and reserves and so forth. So I ended up having, you know, a conversation with him and I just said, Hey, you know, I just, um, you've been here for a few months and it doesn't look like you've, you know, attacked real estate at any kind of high degree. And since it's been a few months, I just wanted to ask you, like, is everything all right? Do you, you know, do you want to do this? Like, are you motivated to do this? Is it important to you? Or is this like not important to you? Like, just where are you at? I'm not even not upset. There's no emotion on this. It's just, where are you at? And he goes, yeah, I've <laughs> been, I've been, you know, distracted different things, but like, I, I do want to do this. And it was like, you know, to me, like, that's the simple conversation that, that I had to have. And, and that maybe he had to have so that he could even answer that question for himself. And then, you know, now he's pushing forward. And, and like months later, you know, we realized that like, yeah, he's a good fit. And I, he, he said something like, you know, so I'd like to stay if, you know, if you'd allow me to stay at, at that moment in time, because I think most people are used to the threat of like, Oh, you're not doing what I expected. I got to let you go. But when a person's not costing me anything, you know, or very little, I just, I just need to hear it from you. Like, don't, why would you waste your own time? Like I call and I have to ask you what's going on every two weeks or a month or something, even though it's very little, like, do you really want me to like, do you want that phone call? If in real life day to day, you like, don't want to be on this real estate team or do you want that call? and, And maybe like, you know, you've been distracted for a few months and you need to just like step on the gas a little more. And like, you do want to be here. And whichever is part- direction
0: is he new to the whole real estate game?
1: No, no, he used to be a realtor uh, in California, so he's he's kind of new. But like, I mean, he's been around selling a few homes in California for I think a couple years. Okay, so so it was really just motivation. And and if he would have said no, that would have been totally fine. I'd just say like you know I'd rather not have to call you and harass you to you know to some degree. And I'm sure you'd rather not. And and you know so like just give me the real answer. And I'll support you. And, and I'll even like hang out and like wait for this to come to fruition because I know he's smart. Like he could just, I've been in it enough to know like people that just don't have the emotional intelligence or social skills to really be a good realtor. This guy's one that like, I was like, I know he'll be good if he just picks up the phone, you know, or just does, you know, the activities that are required. And so that's why it was more that conversation. I was like, I'm not really anywhere near like feeling like I need to like, you know, um, abandon our relationship. The only thing that would make me feel that way is if you told me I'm just not that into this. You know, like I don't. I, I think maybe I thought I was, but I'm really not. And then I'd say, okay, great. Well, let's not waste any more time. And you know, like we can, we can kind of like just separate, and it's just one less person and thing that I have to put my energy toward thinking about. But it's nothing more than that. And then, of course, it it ended up going the opposite direction, and. And he's, uh, you know, I think he's a great cultural fit for the team. You know, everybody likes him. He's uh, intelligent and capable. And so by giving him the opportunity to really decide, like, you know, as a human being, do you want to be successful at this? Like, surely you don't just want to, like, hang on and produce nothing, right? Like, that's nobody's goal. You'd probably rather be gone. Even if you're making money somewhere else, you'd rather be doing that. And so I was like, so just tell me, you know, what do you really want? And And so it went in the direction of, you know, him staying on the team and us, you know, cultivating our relationship uh, further, which is great. But that's how I, that's how I handle it. Instead of just the whole babysitting thing, it's like, you just, you want to be here or you don't. It's that simple. It is that simple, (laughs) but sometimes, and kind of
0: where I, what comes into my mind when I think about that and the whole culture space and where the question originated was I had a new associate and I don't even know how many years ago it was brand new attorney. And he had his own office, but it was kind of separate from everybody else. And he was just Mm -hmm. kind of floundering in there. And I knew he had the potential to be a, a really good lawyer. And one day I was like, So my office was set up that I had like the central area where my receptionist was and our work counter and the copier. And there was a desk by the copier. And then there were offices around this central space, mine being in the corner. And he was across the hall because that central space and those offices were all occupied. So I brought him across the hall and I put him in the desk by the copier in this big open central space. He was devastated and pissed off because he's an attorney. And how dare I put him by the support staff in the middle of everything. (laughs) And it lasted, (laughs) his ego got in the way, but his ego got pushed aside within a week or two. And he realized how much he was missing out on by being in his own area and not hearing everything that was going on and what he learned essentially through osmosis simply from being in the space. And yep. that's kind of where, I, where my question, the foundation was that that yep. osmosis space has now vaporized when people have gone all virtual. So yeah. one of the things I heard you talk about was mentoring. And maybe that's where mentoring becomes more important than just expecting him to pick it up.
1: Right. Yeah. I think mentorship. And then, um, you know, as far as like what's the replacement for that, again, it all comes down to motivation to me. If if you're motivated to succeed, like those people find the way they're like, where can I go to get this support and that support? But once you cease to offer that support or you can't give them an answer on where to get it, like you're going to lose those people because even talent needs mentorship or growth or training, you know, just to get the job done that you originally hired them for. And so, you know, for that, our company does have like a a group setting. I mean, they have, now they're starting to have physical meetings, but but they also have like some group settings where I make sure that everybody has access to all the apps, all the classes, all the things, you know, that if they do want to grow and they want more and they want like daily training, they have access to that calendar. It may not be me because again, I I enjoy that delegation and, and leverage factor, but like there's a guy in there that says, here's how you succeed with open houses. Here's how you, you know, there's another class. Here's how you succeed with your sphere of influence. This is what I do that gets me results. And, and so I'm not saying I'm totally out of it, but, if somebody needs me, then we talk and we have that, you know, those training sessions, moments, phone calls, zooms. Um, But like 80% of the time they can get what they need from, you know, those trainings, because a lot of times they just need like those ideas, those base level ideas of like, what do you do at an open house? Like what's the best way to get a person's phone number? What's the best thing to say to them to get them to not react defensively, you know, because, we've all been into an open house. And even as a consumer, if I was going in to buy a house, you know, I'm a little, I'd be a little bit on edge if somebody's like, yeah, here, just sign here with your name, email, phone number, social. Yeah, no and thanks. We <laughs> want to contact you once a week until you buy a house. Is that okay? <laughs> like, no, <laughs> no, it's not. It's like far from okay. But you know, like there's a way to, to do that I think, and, and to get results and, and maybe like, maybe you show that person that's in the open house, like some value. And you go, hey, if you're willing to share your contact information, this is a benefit that we would give you. Maybe we'd give it to you once a month. Maybe we give you a free gift. Maybe you get a gift card. And all we ask is that every three months, if you're interested in buying a house in general, you know, every every three months or maybe based on your time frame, that, you know, we'd love to be able to contact you and just see if maybe you're ready to start having us send you home listings, or if you'd be open to working with us and letting us show you the advantages of working with us versus real estate company X. And and maybe that approach, you know, might get true home buyers, you know, people who are gonna buy a home somewhere to open up and say, okay, yeah, like if you show me like why you're better than the next person, then yeah, I'd, I'd be interested in hearing that especially if I get a a free gift, you know, (laughs) like a... What's in it for me, right? (laughs) You know, whatever (laughs) it is. I think we're allowed to give gifts up to like 50 bucks or something. So, you know, who knows? I I don't even know what people do at open houses, but like that's... I just think you have approach A and you have approach B and, you know, one of them is going to get you a better result and and a better, you know, reaction from the consumer than the other. So
0: have... Do you believe in, do you have mentors and believe in the importance of mentors, not only having mentors, but being a mentor?
1: Yeah, I, um, I mean, I keep, like, I have paid mastermind groups that, that I, sometimes I miss numerous sessions, but I keep paying the yearly fee so that I just can go, you know, like one of my favorite all around, you know, mentors is uh, that I, I'm in a mastermind with them is Joseph McClendon third. Tony Robbins, you know, right-hand man at UPW, he gets on zoom and, you know, there's like 20 of us, I guess. Um, I I'm not on though. I'm not on that much, but that they're recorded. And so I can go back and I can listen to them and I pay, you know, I pay my, my yearly fee to like stay a part of it because I see the value. It's just, I, I like to lose access to that, to, to lose access to, he had a, a live, you know, where we did a Zoom last Sunday. I missed it. But let's just say one day I want to jump on and, and see what they talked about and look for a subject matter, you know, like a topic that that they ended up talking about that appeals to me. And I can go through the whole year's worth of, you know, Joseph McClendon talks. Like to lose that is more painful than what I pay on a yearly basis. So he's just like one, you know, I I um I like to go to events like Funnel Hacking Live, right? Because now my events are not just real estate related. I wanna grow in every direction. So I put my marketing hat on and then I go to Russell Brunson's Funnel Hacking Live. I've done the One Funnel Away Challenge. I just, I wanna understand, you know, like I don't wanna be a professional marketer, but I wanna understand what the best of the best in the marketing industry are doing, thinking, how how are they putting together their videos? You know, like what is it that they're doing? And so like, you know, I would say my, my growth, um, my places that I go for growth or my mentors are are now, you know, kind of all over. Um, I have a mentor that I go to for cryptocurrency. Like he's specific. Like I wouldn't, I would never probably ask him for advice on, you know, other things, but like, do I, do I want to know, you know, how he would look at a chart a certain way? Like he's my guy. I, w- I would go and I'd be like, I wonder what he's thinking right now, <laughs> you know? So So, um, yeah, everybody, I think you have to kind of look at and say, like, what's the skill set of that mentor? One of my favorite ones, you know, obviously for for just life all around, plus some business and some finance and, you know, uh, some health, you know, like Tony. Tony's been instrumental. And and, uh, but I feel like, you know, I, I hit him really, really hard my platinum year. And I went to all the different things and I went to a couple of them twice. I've been to three date with destinies now, because I think that one's so profoundly impactful. Um, I've been to business mastery, one business mastery, two platinum finance, wealth mastery, life mastery, UPW, about three of them, you know? And so it's just like, I've gotten a lot of Tony and I did it because I think he's so good that I wanted to internalize all the little crazy things that he say, that he says that like are worth internalizing, you know. Um, I went to relationships in Maui. Uh, that one helped me tremendously with just understanding how I used to think versus like you know maybe a better approach to relationships in general. And uh, hearing that in business and in relationships, like we all have problems. Even the most I like, the most successful person that I maybe put on this pedestal, and I go, yeah, their life must be great. You know, (laughs) they're, they're platinum lions. You know, that's, that's 150,000 a year. Like, wow, it must be doing really great. When they stand up and you know, maybe they talk about a struggle. You're just like, Oh wow, they're human. That's good to know.
0: (laughs) They have same problems just like us.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And, And that's when you grow to know that money doesn't equal happiness and it really, your life really is directly correlated to the emotions you visit most frequently, nothing else. Like nothing
0: else. Well, and with all of the Tony events that you did, they involved a lot of traveling. And I know yeah. the the video you talked about earlier that you had done on Facebook at the spa, you talked about getting a mastermind group together to go snorkeling or cave. scuba diving.
1: Yeah, yeah snorkeling, cave diving in the Cenotes and yeah, that's Latin America.
0: It. <laughs> yeah. So, Those types of masterminds where you just get a group of people together, do you focus on a particular industry or thought process that we're going to go and we're going to mastermind on cryptocurrency or we're going to go mastermind on improving our real estate business? Or is it just, we're going to go, we're going to have fun, but we're also going to bounce ideas And wherever it goes, we'll let the mastermind develop on its own.
1: I mean, for me, like when I pitched that idea, um, I think it all would depend on the people that show up and say, Hey, I'd like to go because, you know, you have some, like some people might turn it into an event where they facilitate it. And it's like, am I going? Because I think that I can teach other people, you know, whatever they might want to be taught, or am I going because I have you know, five people that are showing up and we're all from different industries and we're all, you know, maybe equally successful in different places. And maybe we just all want to have like our moment with the microphone, so to speak, and and be able to teach each other. Say, hey guys, like I came, I want to contribute. If everybody feels the same as I do, this is the field or the section of life that I feel I have the most to offer. So, if we're going to go ahead and and just kind of like contribute based on where our strengths are, then, you know, this is the thing that I could talk to you guys about two, two hours straight on with no preparation. And I think I could impact some people in some different ways. And so if we all have our two hours, you know, like it's interesting to see what happens when you let five different people get into a flow state on the subject that they're the expert at and or most passionate about. And I think like, you can't, you can't walk away from that. It wouldn't be in one sitting, but you know, like if, if we're there five days and each person has two hours and it's like, Hey, you know, Michelle, today's your day, two hours on relationships or whatever, or two hours on, you know, how you started your business. Like, I mean, whatever the passion is, wherever the expertise is, I think that's a great, you know, I think that's just a great model for how a successful mastermind could go Q and a with Michelle tomorrow about how she launched her e-commerce business, because that's where her passion is. That's where her success is. Do you find
0: that when you put those together, the right 100%. people just
1: show up? 100%. Yeah. Because the people that are intimidated by it won't show up. They won't even ask to go. Unfortunately, you know, for them, because I think there's growth there. And my, my goal would always be to be like the smallest person in the room. Like if I could, if I could be the most unsuccessful And I'm okay with the hit toward my ego, you know, like, I'm okay with like, that's the right room to be in. Um,
0: Well, you don't want to be at the top, you want to be at the bottom, so you can keep going up.
1: Yeah, if you're at the top, I mean, that's fine, too. But maybe your, your human need that you're looking to fulfill should be like, okay, I'm doing this for contribution, because I've just made it. Like, I'm, I'm Tony, right? Like, to some degree, right? That's probably where he's at. In a lot of cases, he doesn't go. I don't. I think he does probably learn from people still. But at the same time, like, he's really fulfilling his need for contribution. But he's also kind of turned it into a mechanism for, you know, continuing to, to fill his wealth, you know, and, and to, to build wealth off of.
0: Well, and I think I've heard him talk about he has his own group as well that he's surrounded by people that are more successful than him.
1: Has to, yeah.
0: You know, and, yeah,
1: and i more like the the Stephen Wins and you know it's like he's got people that even he looks up to, you know. Well like part like, of like, the like, growth process. What's that? I said, isn't that part of the growth process? It should be but I think some people, you know, enjoy certainty and comfort and they don't want to be challenged and they're not too excited about growth. And so they like to kind of like, you know, stay in the same, like, Oh, you're, I don't want you to be too much better than me. Cause that makes me feel uncomfortable. You know, like, I don't want you to be too much more successful than me and in, in any aspect of life. So I'm happy just to like, you know, stay with people that are even with me because that just, It's a need for certainty. Like, it just makes me feel comfortable knowing that all my friends are about like me. And I'd feel really awkward if I hung out with people that all did better than me in all different aspects of life. Instead of saying like, man, John and and Michelle, these are random names, but (laughs) John John and Michelle have just such an amazing relationship and they're always so passionate. And I don't have that. Like, you might want to hang out with John and Michelle and like learn from them. Um, If like... Tom, you know, is, is a guy that, I don't know, let's say out, your income is 75000 and that's where you've kind of hit your ceiling, and, and Tom, you know, who you have a chance or an opportunity to hang out with, makes a million dollars a year every year, and he works like five hours a week, like he's got life figured out from the finance side of things, like why would you not go hang out with Tom and like just get a little of that, <laughs> just, exactly. just get a little, a little of what Tom's got. It will go a long way to to a person at 75 because you know Tom is now probably gonna just introduce you to money isn't real, money is emotion, money is you know time, money is energy. Like, and you're gonna just be, I don't know, I think pulled in the direction of looking at money at a different you know from a different angle. And and maybe that'll change some of the decisions you make and lead you to a better life. Once you start looking at it that way, instead of from a scarcity mindset, which is, which is common with, you know, 90% of people, it's, it's scarcity. Like I better go produce. I better go trade my time for money as much as possible for as much money as possible, because one day it might run out. My opportunity might run out. Like, you know, I may not have the chance and money's scarce and money should be valued above all things. I'm and like, money will
0: know. always be scarce in that, yeah. with that mindset.
1: Yeah. It's like that Confucius or whoever said it, you know, like the, those who believe that the thing is going to be this way. And those who don't believe the thing is going to be this way are both often right. <laughs> you know?
0: Well, and I think that kind of goes along with Ford, Henry Ford, I believe was the one who said, if you think you can, or you think you can't, you're right. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Both very exact same concept. Yeah.
0: Exactly. Just different plane, but same idea. Mm-hmm. So. Doing the masterminds is that kind of, you talked about getting comfortable with the uncertainty. Is that Mm -hmm. kind of the start of your journey in that regard that I'm going to break out of my comfort zone and be okay with the uncertainty and kind of let life introduce me to what it wants to. And I'm open for the opportunities and the suggestions. Is that kind of where the, the masterminding came from or even your Tony journey?
1: Yeah, I mean that, but I, I think I think those masterminds have always been attractive to me. Like growth events, you know, in general has, have always been attractive to me, whether it's being a part of them and just being the guy that's there to learn, whether it's being like an equal and feeling like, okay, I'm here with like some brothers and sisters that are like on an equal level. I just, I have some things to give to them, but I also have some things to learn from them. Um, or whether it's um, the idea of facilitating and saying, like, you know, like what I've done with uh, Digital Investor IO um, and the Discord, you know, now we've got 700 members in our social media uh, Facebook group learning about cryptocurrency and digital assets. And some of them, you know, how to trade them. Um, a lot of them, you know, are uh, platinum partners. And we have, you know, some platinum lions in there, which kind of humbles me because I'm like, wow, these people that you know are so successful see enough in my little group that started with like two people <laughs> to, to come here and like actually check in, you know, on a on a regular basis. And like they haven't left. Like they keep seeing the things that we share and they like them and they show up and they comment. Um, and then 125 of which took it to the next level by downloading an app that they probably knew nothing about called Discord, and they joined our channel there. so now there's 125 people that are, you know, living more of the cutting edge section of cryptocurrency there. And um, about 40 of which are now interested in uh, subscription services that, you know, I was to- I'm toying with the idea of putting out, um, you know, very similar to Tony's uh, method, which is, um, we, we built something and I, I, gave, I gave a survey where it is premium, diamond, and platinum, you know, and, and I would basically create services for each of them. Um, and I admit to people, right, this is me with, this is how comfortable I am with uncertainty now. It's like, most people feel you have to have it all figured out. I'm okay telling everybody, I don't even know what these things are gonna be, but I'd rather build a service around this survey, which you guys kind of like lead the way and what you value and then I'll tell you like what I think I can do. Like, so if you ask me, what's your plan? Do you have like a funnel where we can see what you get for, you know, for any given um, tier? I'm like, no, I don't even know what I'm going to do. <laughs> but but I, if there's enough interest, I know that I'll do it. And if I, you know, get certain answers from people that want the highest level services and I get a different set of answers for people who want the middle and then other people who want like, you know, the cheapest one, but like everybody wants bang for their buck, then I'm going to go off the survey and I'll create something that, that seems like it would be, um, you know, something that would work for everybody, you know, just depending on where, where you want to participate and, and to what level. And so that's turned into like a, a you know, business, potential business in its own right. Um, and so that's exciting. You know, that sounds just, like
0: find a need, fill a need off of the robots movie, right? Rather than if you it. build it, they will come. No, I'll, I have people that are following me. There is a need there. They want something, and I can serve and help them with it.
1: Yeah, I built a pretty extensive survey, and I, I just got, you know, like it was basically a needs analysis for people. And, and I just thought, okay, let me, um, you know, let, you me, let, let me see what people want, you know? And um, instead of pretending like I know what you guys want, like I know my model of the world, I was like, But I've found out many times that my model of the world is not other people's model of the world. So just because I think a thing is hard or easy or a certain way, doesn't mean that anybody else thinks this way. And and so I was like, the best way I could do it is, you know, have a pretty intense survey that takes most people, you know, maybe 20 minutes to fill out long form answers, short form answers, multiple choice answers, in your own words, answers questions on how you value time, how you handle emotions, questions on how long have you been in the space? What's your risk tolerance? How much money are you playing with? You know, how do you look at risk? Like all these things. So I can go, you're a good fit. You're not a good fit. You know, like you shouldn't even be in the space at all, (laughs) you know, um, based on your answers. Um, And you're a good fit for premium. You're a good fit for diamond. You're a good fit for platinum, you know, whatever, like, but those answers, Give me the the compass and the map on what to build, who it's for, and and who who would have a miserable experience because their expectations are are not a match for the reality that I would be able to bring them. Like you know, I can't if somebody expects a hundred percent certainty, no risk, three hundred percent or thousand percent gains. Like these are things yes. that are possible, but you know, like there's no there's no um, there's no there's way you no can create- guarantee for that even in the S and P 500 or traditional. And even if you hired the guy with all the series, whatever series, 62 series, 63, I've passed every test to advise people on finances. Like even my, one of my favorite guys or or best guys that I talk to, even the things he does where he uses uh, a sector rotation strategy, where he takes you out of, you know, highly volatile ETFs and, and puts you into bonds and takes you in and out of the uh, S&P 500 at, you know, roughly the right time. And he's back tested everything like he's he's like a rocket scientist of, of wealth creation. But even after every conversation I have with him, he always says, but this does not uh, <laughs> this, guarantee you know, future
0: past, performance, probably.
1: Past, yeah, past results do not uh, did not guarantee future performance. And so, you know, like, if that guy can't do it, then, you know, people need to know, I can't do it. I'm not even that guy. I'm just I'm just like, I told uh, one of my friends, Jared, I was like, and he's, he's got like a lot of money that, you know, he gets advice on. He took a hundred thousand dollar position and, uh, and I had to like, you know, I I guided him on it and I think he's, he's up now. I think he'll be doing well here shortly, but he put a lot of money into a space that he really wasn't a hundred, a hundred percent comfortable with. And uh, what was funny was like, he had to go through the emotions too, because that, you know, that was, Although his portfolio could be a lot larger, you know that was that was a big position and, and uh, it went down, you know, in U.S. dollar value like twenty thousand dollars inside of like probably seventy two hours. And he's like, he was like, I go, I go, you're gonna go through emotions, right? Because I am the one that told him don't sell at a like three or five thousand dollar loss. And then he goes, it goes down further, right? Now he's like at a twenty five thousand dollar loss. I go, what you should do is journal your emotions. And this will tell you like, if you're a good fit for the space from like a risk tolerance perspective, or maybe if you just want to stay in Bitcoin and not in these other things, because, you know, be honest in your journal, right? Like this was a moment where I like, I hated Brayson and I felt like I'm never going to listen to that guy again. Like there's, there might be a moment in time where that was like how you felt you should write it because When And like, I wouldn't blame you when you see something go down, you know, 25,000, you're like, man, I just lost 25% of my money. That's how I felt in that moment. Like I started losing faith in the space in him. I thought, man, I should have never even messed with Bitcoin or crypto at all. Like that was how I felt. And then what I also want you to do is wait for this thing to go back up because you haven't sold yet. If you're just committed to not selling and you're just going to do what I say and you're going to wait I also want you to journal how you feel when it hits 140,000 or 160,000 and you're 60,000 up. Cause the emotions will be different. Like I feel like it could go higher, so I don't want to sell. <laughs> and you're going <gonna> <laughs> to the- take
0: the risk now.
1: <laughs> yeah. Then you're going to experience the greed and you know, you want to like counter trade your emotions when you feel everything inside you says sell, cause you're $25,000 down and it could keep going, right? It could keep going. That's the fear. That's when your emotions are telling you to sell. So counter trade them. Maybe don't, you know, consider not doing that, taking that big loss. And then um, same thing on the upside. When everything inside you says, don't sell, it could keep going up. Like maybe that's when you counter trade your emotions and you sell and you take a $60,000 gain. And then maybe you redistribute it in a strategic way. You use, you know, diversification. you be smart, you be logical. Maybe you leave some in there too, if you want. But, you know, like- Take a moment to regroup. And in either case, journal everything because trading is pure emotions.
0: <laughs> That's very interesting. I've never actually heard anybody put it that way that when you're you're in the market, journal mm-hmm. your emotions and then use your emotions kind of as the benchmark in real time to figure out what your, your risk tolerance actually is or to help yeah. make a more rational, logical decision instead of letting your emotions decide.
1: Right, right. Yeah, because he's up. I just, I I, energy is real because I feel his energy, right? He's one of the people that I have personally consulted on a specific trade recently. I feel responsible because I like told him, hold, you know? So they're like, even if I didn't put it on a to-do list, there's this energy between he and I right now in this trade that I think of him, like I have to think of him because there's $100,000 worth of energy in this trade and in this, you know, like polarity between he and I. And so I think of him and, you know, like I just checked today, his, his position's up. And so he's, in my opinion, he's about to experience the upside of his trade. He's already went through the trenches. He's already seen his 100 go to 70. Now he's going to see where his 100 goes over 100 and start, you know, having to deal with those emotions. Those are more fun to deal with. You know, you're like, wow, this is the fastest 20,000 I ever made. But- yeah, and then he's
0: probably going to be thinking, okay, Brayson, why did I buy when I did? Why didn't I just wait three days?
1: Because yeah. then yeah. I could
0: have had that much more.
1: Yeah, 100% he will. And, that, and that's where I go, if you're interested in that and you're truly capable of handling, handling both sides of the emotional roller coaster that you just went through with a pretty large position, even for him then maybe you should consider joining the trading group, you know, joining the, taking the survey and then like, we'll see where you fit and so forth and so on. If that experience just like, you're happy that you made it out and you, you broke even or you profited and you're just happy to like, get back into where you feel safe, whether it's US dollars or whether it's Bitcoin or some, you know, higher market cap coin, then, you know, that's great because that experience showed you that like, you just don't have, you know, what you need to like, feel comfortable in the trading space from an emotion standpoint, like if it keeps you up at night, you know, it's not worth it. But if, if you can just trust and and you like, you go, man, there's a, there's a method to this madness and these charts and this technical analysis works. And I can kind of create a way where, you know, I have that Paul Tudor Jones, five to one ratio working for me, where, my upside is so asymmetrical that I can lose four out of five times and still be profitable. Like if you can show me that. And if I can admit and acknowledge and or create the time required to achieve that, then yeah, I'm interested. Let's do it. You know, like it's one way or the other, you should get out. If like it's the ugly side and it's just, you know, maybe you make a ton of money doing what you already do. So it's just not worth it. And it's so much fun and interesting and, and cool to be involved in something. So, you know, groundbreaking and, and new to the world um, to, to be involved in it is if you can do it profitably, especially is exciting and fun and cool. And, and I think it, for me anyway, I've found that it brings some fulfillment as well.
0: So how did you get into the whole cryptocurrency realm?
1: Um, I mean, I think the first time that, that I, I really learned about it, I was talking to somebody about this. The first time I ever heard the word Bitcoin, it's actually really funny. And maybe it's the same for, you know, other people that might hear this, but it must've been like 2014 or something like that, that um, there was a company called Ashley Madison that helped people have affairs online, (laughs) like help married people have affairs. And that made the news at a certain point um, for a hack, like, bad people or, you know, maybe good people, I don't know, but somebody got the information for all these people that were like cheating on their spouses and they got the transcripts and they got all these different things. And it made the news also, I mean, it was like on, you know, yahoo.com, I mean, it was everywhere that, that they, they got this information. And what those people decided to do back then was blackmail all the users and to share all their content, probably most likely with their wife or whoever, whoever they had, a husband, whoever was having the affair. Like, we're gonna tell everybody that you would know or care about that you don't want to see this, we're gonna tell them all, if you don't send us five Bitcoin. And so back then I was like, what's a Bitcoin? <laughs> so, so it was probably like back then, I think it was 2014 or something that, that like I had first heard about it. I wish I had taken it more seriously not that I would want to blackmail people from Ashley Madison or care anything about that I just I wish I'd have researched it and just said how do I get a Bitcoin you know like is there a way that I could get one? How much are they? Maybe I could just own one <laughs> but um, whoever did that you know I don't know even know what the numbers were but they were low like they were they were charging you like 10 Bitcoin to like save your reputation, save your marriage whatever and at the time you know like 10 Bitcoin was probably like 500 bucks. It was probably like 50 bucks a Bitcoin or something crazy like that. And so the people who orchestrated that entire scheme, you know, now, if they held on to their Bitcoin, are probably doing extremely well considering each Bitcoin is now $50,000. <laughs> so, so it's, it's really, um, it really is crazy how far it's come. But for me, that was the first time I heard it. And then in 17, uh, I went to a plat finance trip uh, with the Tony Robbins organization. And then they got a bit more in detail. Uh, the CEO, well, now the CEO of Grayscale, back then he wasn't, um, but now he's the CEO of Grayscale. He came out and he had talked about it. And you know, we had a handful of people come and talk about it. And then they mentioned it at a couple of those uh, plat Finance events, but uh, there, was, there were a couple of years during the bear market where they basically said, it's like a casino, you know, like it's, you know, don't, don't risk anything more than you can afford to lose which is probably true, you know, even for, you know, the wealthiest people, especially at the time, like they didn't know any better. And now in 2020, like end of 2020, you have somebody like Michael Saylor come out, get super vocal about it. CEO of MicroStrategy puts their treasury $500 million into Bitcoin. And then the whole world watches that. And then the whole world watches Bitcoin 6X And so now Michael Saylor's treasury is over $2.5 billion from that one move. And he's still going around, you know, explaining how Bitcoin is going to save, you know, the economy or how how Bitcoin is going to be the, the one, you know, what does he call it? The apex asset of the human race that is your best place to put your money. And he believes the trajectory will have it, you know, to where each Bitcoin will be over a million dollars, you know, by like 2030, you know. And so he's just kind of spouting may or may not come to fruition. I can't really guarantee anything on that. But if he's right, you know, he's basically saying Bitcoin's market cap, which is currently bouncing around the one trillion dollar mark, will one day meet and exceed the market cap of gold, which I believe is 15 trillion or something like that or 10, 10 or 15 trillion. And so he expects that you know bitcoin will be somewhere in that half million to a million range fairly easily because it's just superior to gold per him and so yeah yeah, so but it's interesting to everybody that you have people like him and now elon musk and people like paul tudor jones and you have goldman sachs and you have morgan stanley and you have uh, fidelity insurance like all make it paypal like you have uh, Square, like all these people, Jack Dorsey of Twitter, um, all these people are making moves, you know, positive moves into that space. And, and I think that's, that's where now everybody's kind of like, what if they're right? <laughs> <You know? laughs> like, that's a lot of smart people. <laughs> and so it's become, you know, I would say for that reason, you know, it's become different this year even though i hate the phrase this time is different because it leads people you know who are, who have never seen an 85% retrace to believe that bitcoin can't collapse by 80% it's like yes this time is different yes we're on a positive trajectory it's grown 200% year over year for the past decade it's probably going to be fine like that's an amazing track record it's outperformed just about every asset and at the same time like we still have a trend that says every single bull cycle so far, this would be the first one if if this is the exception, but every single bull cycle so far has had this massive run-up and done really well, and then has collapsed by about 80%. And so a lot of people, you know, there's gonna be some people that are waiting for that trend to be broken. And I'm one of them. I'm kind of like, I'm optimistic, you know, and and I think like, I feel good about the long-term result that we're going to see. Like if you go, am I happy that I was in Bitcoin back then or not? 10 years from now, you know, five years from now, I think that there's a good chance that like, you'd be happy that you were in it. But if, if I were to say like, what about one year from now, am I a hundred percent confident there won't be an 80% retrace or, or a 50% retrace or something like that? And we don't find ourselves at you know, lower numbers versus the apex of the bull run. And and there, there's a ton of people that got in toward the top that feel like they got burned and maybe they decide to sell at the bottom because they totally lose faith. I think that could happen too. <laughs> so it's an interesting space right now and that trend has yet to be broken. You know, we have to watch to see how it plays out.
0: When you were little, did you ever expect that you would be playing in the, well... I was going to say in like a crypto market, but I would liken it to play the market instead of just the digital world, but play the market in general.
1: No, no, I, I mean, I don't think I, I grew up in the 80s, so I don't, I don't think I even thought about that. You know, uh, even stocks was so foreign because I grew up in a blue collar family. Like my son is six and he like knows I, I do stuff in cryptocurrency and he's like, you know he tries to like learn and he looks at green candles and red candles and he's already got like, you know, teaching him some of the like real, you know, elementary concepts. But like, I didn't grow up with that. You know, my dad was like shop foreman, you know, at a refrigeration plant, super blue collar. My mom uh, worked at the phone company, you know, like in an administrative, maybe sales type position. So like, they were not, they were not like hardcore white collar people where I grew up like watching my dad in front of charts or doing technical analysis or anything. So I would have never guessed that life would take me in this direction. But what I did you want to be all...
0: growing up in the eighties?
1: You know, back then it was simple. It was funny. Um, I bet, I bet if you'd asked me back then, I, I just want to do something that makes me happy. You know, like if I really could have like answered that back then, um, but it would have been something, you know, much more childish, like a policeman. <laughs> you know? I don't think I ever wanted to be a fireman, but I thought being a policeman might be probably pretty cool. Um, I know from a young age, like I found a, a like a journal entry of all the things that I wanted. It was even a story. It was like and it was. It was very focused on, you know, monetary wealth. It was like, when I grew up, I want to have a butler and a chest full of, you know, money and a big house and like, all, you know, and you can just tell by that, the kind of conditioning I was getting hit with, you know, and it was, I'm sure from my parents, like, you know, in their own way, like chase money, make money. You want to get a good paying job. You want to be a doctor. You want to be a lawyer. You want to be these things because money is important. Money is probably the most important don't stop chasing money, <laughs> like subliminally telling me these things. And uh, so, you know, so that was probably, that probably never left me. But I started evolving, I think, in the way that I look at it now. And, and for that reason, I teach my son, you know, differently. I'm like, money, money's great. But always know, always remember that money doesn't equal happiness.
0: Money and is a tool.
1: Money is a tool. Money is energy. Like, those are kind of, you know, um, still a bit foreign to him, I think, you know, but um, he'll get there.
0: <laughs> when did you start journaling?
1: Oh, man, uh, many years ago. I, I've been journaling for a decade, I guess. Probably. And the only
0: month. reason I ask, you had said that looking through your journal from when you were little, it was always focused on, on money in a, a big house and having a butler. So oh, yeah, that just that, kind of surprised me. Yeah,
1: yeah. I, I think because uh, that was actually in a spiral, like an old, obviously a very old spiral. I said I wanted to be strong like Arnold Schwarzenegger and no karate like Jean-Claude Van Damme. And I spelled it wrong. <laughs> and I, uh, that was because our teacher had us write a journal um, on different things every day. And so, like that day, I don't know what the question was, but you know, they used to have those uh, projectors, you know, and I forget what you call them, but like the, the old school projectors, overhead projector. Yeah. So, I used to have the overhead projector, and she so would have like the, the journal, you know, question of the day. And then it would be like our time to like write, and it would just be like, write a paragraph. And that was, I flipped through a handful, but that was one of the funnier ones that I came across. I was like, oh, that's interesting. Look at your mindset back then. Like, and I, I shared it on Facebook too. It was it was funny and, and cute and, you know, like, but it was funny that it was all money centric. I, I wanted to own like the Chicago Bulls <laughs> at the time. <laughs> um, so yeah, funny stuff.
0: <laughs> but it, it truly is amazing how many things from our childhood that they do impact us even though it may not have been the intention and you realize that later on that that's where that came from or you know i can't believe i'm doing this and then you reflect back and think well it's really not surprising that i am doing it
1: yeah yeah things that your parents told you you need to be or do or you can't do and then you're like oh well then i gotta figure that out like i I Now that makes me want to do it even more. I love that you
0: can't do this. Oh yeah, watch me.
1: (laughs) Yeah, like, and if not your parents, you know, then somebody, right? Somebody out there gave you the fuel to do something simply because they told you you couldn't. And I know I've had, you know, I'm sure I've had my share of people like that, that uh, not thankfully not too many, but a few that have given me some fuel. So like that was when I went to into the army, that was my my dad was airborne army in like the 60s just before vietnam uh my uncle we 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 can't really find a whole lot of evidence of my uncle's um you know my uncle uh his military career but you know he claims that he was a commando in the army <laughs> and so it's been a running thing that he's claimed for you know ever since i've known him and so we give him you know we give him a little bit of uh hell about that (laughs) but at the same time um, those two you know like they would have never they would have never um, bet money on me that I would have gone to first ranger battalion and like gone through ranger indoctrination program airborne school infantry school uh, or you know even just basic training and AIT of infantry and like just and made it you know specifically to be in special operations uh, as an airborne ranger in a unit that has a very high attrition rate. And at the time they were watching shows on TV like surviving the cut and things like that that were real popular back then that show like what, you know, Ranger Battalion is putting people through for their training these days. And they're like, you know, they're 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 funny. Like even now, they're like, oh hell no, no way Brayson's doing that, that right now. Like he ain't gonna make it. And then one day, you know, I graduate not only from being not only to being at first ranger battalion the unit but then they send me additionally to ranger school which is just you know a school the, the, they say the the tab is a school the scroll is a way of life and so like i already made it to the place where it's a way of life i think it was harder to get there and then the school you know is also equally difficult very highly respected in the army as you know one of the uh, really like the top leadership school in the army about 80 80 something days very little food, very little sleep. You're either in it in the summer and it's extreme hot and there's people having heat casualties or you're in it in the winter and it's really cold and people are getting hypothermia. Like you get one one or the other is your experience. And so, you know, eventually they got the call that like my graduation's coming up. And and so to this day, they still talk about it and, and kind of make jokes like, I can't believe that, like, <laughs> you never finished, like, baseball, <laughs> like, we put you in, like, fall ball, and, like, you know, fifth grade, and, like, you wouldn't make it the whole season before you got bored, and, and like, somehow you made it through that, and uh, so it was, it was a, it was a nice, uh, it was a nice, you know, final finale, I guess, to, to my childhood, you know, like, going into being a young man that I could, like, show, you know, my family, like, hey, look, like when I like something or I set my mind to something, I can do it. <laughs> Reason I didn't maybe have the highest GPA in high school, barely got by. I wasn't into it. <laughs> well, that gives but me
0: college, hope for my kids.
1: <laughs> yeah, college was a different story. I, I my standard in high school was I just I just want to graduate. Like I, I'm more interested in skipping classes and having fun with my friends and what keg parties happening on what weekend. Like, that's what I'm into. Like, so my passion was there. And of course you're going to like excel where your passion is. And so like what, what goals or needs were met, you know, like significance, certainty, uncertainty, all these things that, that made that high school experience fun, you know, girls and all that stuff, um, which, you know, you're pursuing love, you're pursuing connection. And so, no wonder that met my needs more than like class and and you know things like that and um, that's why i try to teach him about the human needs and i hope that i can always be a bigger influence on him than you know the kid down the street that lives on the corner that maybe doesn't have life all figured out <laughs> you know at least to the degree he should um exactly but, but that i think um once i got out of the military yeah my standard was more like it went from you just need to graduate and like that should please everybody to once I got into college, it was like, if I got anything less, it was almost unhealthy looking back. Like now that I do the Tony stuff, it was like, if I got anything less than a 4.0, or if I got a B, I bombed it. If if I got less than a 4.0, it wasn't good enough. And so now you're like, that's the way Ranger Battalion made me have extremely high standards. Your, your PT test needs to be a perfect 300 because you know, that's, perfect on in, in, as far as like the army PT test and everything has to be perfect and so forth and so on. Cause you know, it's a higher standard here than the rest of the army, but um, it wasn't healthy looking back, like going to college. Cause you know, kid gets a 3.9 and all of a sudden he feels in, in his emotions and in his state, he feels like a failure. And uh, <clears throat> so a lot, a lot to learn, you know, like you go through a lot of interesting stages in life.
0: That leads me to so many different questions, but (laughs) first off, thank you for your service. And how did, did you go right into the military after high school?
1: I did about a year year later. I got got caught uplifting actually. So this is funny. Um, I was talking about this too, uh, very recently. I think this is a really cool share because for people that, you know, don't understand the whole life happens for you and even the pain and, and not to you. And, and like the question sometimes, like the big picture, why did this happen? Like if you'd ask me a kid that stole two nine volt batteries, like Duracell Ultra nine volt batteries for eight dollars at a Walmart, like why he did it or, you know, if he regrets it or if he like all the things surrounding it it was, it was embarrassing and everything else. Cause I was 18 and I had a stun gun. I was going down the wrong path. Like I want to leave with that. I was like, I was, I had a, a driver's license from a guy that was 26. And I was, I would go to like a bar and, and sit there and pretend I'm 26 and here's my ID. And I would hang out and I'd put like the doors with Jim Morrison on the jukebox. I'm like, I'm living like a different life that was not healthy for a kid. That's 18. And, um, uh, and get, you know, just crazy stuff, but I was getting away with it, and so that feeds your, you know, Eagle. kind of feeds your little ego, and so I'm getting away with it, and, and, you know, I'm, I'm like, I still have a pretty good relationship with my parents, but probably not as good as it could have been, you know, because they see this stuff, they see how I come in and catch me with certain things, paraphernalia for certain things that I shouldn't, you know, be involved with, and so forth, and, uh, and so, hold on, but <laughs> And, and so um, numerous signals, right? That I'm going down the wrong path, but, but the biggest one, the one that was the impetus for change was shoplifting $8 batteries at 18 years old. I go in, I, I think Walmart makes too much money. Walmart makes more than enough money. They won't miss these batteries. I'm smarter than, you know, Walmart, like <laughs> I'm slicker than Walmart, whatever. So I, I take these batteries and it wasn't the first time, you know, I had like taken something. I'm sure I've taken a bunch of little stuff. Pen, it used to be like Parker pens were popular back then, like $6 pens whatever. So this, this day I go and I steal these two, it's like a twin pack of batteries, about an $8 value. And I get caught by a large black African, uh, African-American guy uh, named Marcus Starr. And uh, he, he catches me. And I remember him to this day, like best thing that ever happened to me was this gentleman catching me. He, he grabs me and I'll never forget like the feeling that I felt when he grabbed me and, and looked at me and I knew I had been caught. And, um, uh, he, he goes, um, he, he just basically grabbed me and took me to the back room. And then he, he, he basically goes, um, let me, uh, let me ask you, do you have a job? And I was like, I was like, yeah, man. At first I tried to buy my way out of it. I was like, Hey man, could I just like pay you maybe some money and like get out of, you know, this, like, I won't come back. <laughs> I don't know what I tried to, to offer him, but, you know, he's like, no, we're past that, man. I, I got you on the cameras and, you know, like, you're already back here. And then he goes, then he proceeds to tell me, if you would have run, I probably wouldn't have chased you. <laughs> so Jeez, I'm, like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, thanks, man. And so um, anyway, he asked me if I have a job. I go, yeah, you know, I do. And I was embarrassed. I go, I'm a daycare teacher. You know, like, I, I like take care of, Little kids, like the after-schoolers, you know, at this daycare, uh, kind of like part-time. Maybe it was even full-time, um, or like 30 hours, right? And so he just starts laughing, and he's like, that, "That's hilarious!" And um, he uh, he goes, it no, doesn't surprise me. I've had full bird colonels, you know, shoplift, and and I catch them, and like so, nothing surprises me. It's like a it's like a smuggler, right? There's no there's no like race. There's no." Uh, occupation like there's no gender that like it okay that's what a smuggler looks like you just never know and so he he laughs about that and then i don't know if it's their protocol or or whatnot but he goes um let me ask let me ask you this um what is the uh pull out your wallet show me the contents of your wallet and then i I was like i already knew how much money i had in my wallet because i just got paid that day so I pull out my wallet and I had about $580, like $585, like cash in my wallet. It's like so thick, more money than, you know, like, I mean, he caught me on payday. <laughs> i made this dumb a decision. Payday. Yeah. And so, so, you know, Marcus like just starts laughing and, and he he's like, Oh my gosh, you know, cause as a percentage of my contents of my wallet, It was like so small that I could have avoided all of this for my $8 and left Walmart and been fine. And so instead, uh, you know, I got caught and um, he, they walked me out of the store, you know, like walk of shame kind of, I don't think anybody even saw me, but I still felt the emotion of shame. And so um, ultimately I got charged with a ticket and it was, uh, it was like a speeding ticket. Really. I didn't know what even happens to you back then. I was like, what's going to happen? And he's like, well, you know, you're going to get charged. That's probably the way he said it. <laughs> and then I was like, oh, that sounds scary. So, so yeah, so they give me the ticket for theft under 50. And it's like a speeding ticket. Um, the There is a police officer at the front. He writes it up. He gives me this ticket. And he says, like, you got to show up to court, you know, on this day and, and like go deal with the judge, whatever it is. And I think I was already on deferred adjudication for minor in possession charges where I got caught drinking underage with people. Like, just I mean, I was already like a little bit of a mess in different parts of my life. You know, like you could like little signals, right? Like, OK, you got an MIP, you got another one. It's like, really, a third one? <laughs> you know? And then now shoplifting. haven't learned
0: your lesson yet?
1: Yeah, yeah. And now shoplifting, like how many times have you like run from the police, you know, this, this past year? Um, now you're getting caught shot Like, okay, there's a handful of signals. Even for a kid that's oblivious, there's a handful of signals that I've been hit with. Um, you know, I've, I've narrowly avoided a couple of charges where, like, the police officers gave me a break. You know, um, because I didn't really look like a bad kid. it's like me and this girl, and, and we were like in a cul-de-sac, and we we're doing, you know, something we shouldn't have. And and luckily, the the police officer who who you know caught us with like was gentle on us. He said, "Look." I'm just gonna like let you guys go with a warning, but you know, um, don't let me catch you again or whatever. So I had a few type of run-ins like that, and um, I um, I remember um, this particular one I was so embarrassed about at 18 years old with a full wallet, and maybe it was just like that, you know, straw that broke the camel's back um, after that conversation with Marcus, who you know, if I if I could, I would thank that that gentleman to this day um, for changing my life because. When I, um, when I went home, I was so embarrassed to my parents that I, um, I told them, like, I know you guys are going to be upset and disappointed with me because I did this. And then I told them and I said, but before you get angry, I do just want you to know that, like, I've already decided I'm going to go to finalize because I had already kind of toyed with the whole U.S. Army thing. I said, I'm going to go and finalize paperwork and like officially sign up to just go into the Army <clears throat> because maybe, <laughs> maybe for the first time, I can see that I'm going down the wrong path and I don't want to continue to go further in this direction. And so um, so I did. I went to uh, Staff Sergeant Williams <laughs> at the time and, uh, and I signed up and, and I said, you know, that airborne ranger slot that you said, like I'd have a shot at, I think I'm ready. And, you know, like, how do I sign up? And so, you know, it was literally like within a day or two, like I, I made that appointment. And that, you know, is, is the magic behind doing something and, and maybe it goes away that you don't really expect and, and you wouldn't have even asked for it, but you ultimately have your life changed by that thing that happens for you that you, that you would have never asked for. Well, <laughs> but it, that's also
0: would, the, the joy of events. Just they are what they are, right? Yeah. It, it happens. Could you have paid I- for it? Absolutely. You chose not to, which is fine. And you got caught. But it's what you did with that event and how you responded to it yeah. that changed the trajectory of your
1: life. Couldn't I couldn't agree better? Like I, I have friends. Um, no, they're not my friends. <laughs> they're not my friends anymore. They were my friends, but I had friends that um, one. Um, I got I got out of the army and I came back and I'm at I'm in college. I'm in the you know the, the place where everybody congregates and eats like the cafeteria, some sort of common area, and I'm watching my friend, my old friend, who I haven't seen in a long time get arraigned in a court hearing on the news for capital murder of a young man in, uh, UT Austin. Um, apparently there was like a, a robbery that was, that was botched. And it, this was just like a kid that I used to hang out with and have, you know, fun times with, you know, probably at a more innocent time in, in life. And I think he got wrapped up in just the wrong life, right? That, that path that sent him in the wrong direction. And, uh, he I don't like I'm not saying that he killed the person I don't know how it went but I will say that like he and two other people went into this place where this UT uh, student resided and the the young man you know I think he was maybe selling drugs or something I mean like he, he probably wasn't all innocent but because he was a UT student and I think he was a football player and different things like it made big news you know fairly big news like in the state um, he ended up you know getting killed at that incident. And these kids, you know, these other young men um, got caught and like, I'm sure like one got caught and then the others, you know, got brought into it and like justice was served in whatever way it was served. I had, you know, obviously not talked to that guy in, in a long time, but when you see somebody on the news getting arraigned for something so serious, it's like, that's the universe. Once again, just kind of telling you like, You may not have done that, (laughs) but, but like, that's the direction that your friends were leading you into. And I have other friends that like still live with their parents. You know, I have other friends that are struggling because they never really like took a leap into anything of any significance. Um, I have um, other friends that became, you know, ridiculously, um, you know, like ridiculously, I don't know what you'd call it, but just like massive alcoholics, Um, just pills, alcohol, all the, you know, just basically like people that went in all the bad directions in life, multiple that went to prison. I've had some that, you know, got shot. They weren't even in the military, just, just doing the wrong things and, and going down the wrong path. And, and they, you know, life led them to, it led them to the place that, that, that type of activity and, and that type of, you know, lifestyle leads to, which is like, you know, generally incarceration or in some cases, death or injury, you know, and, and maybe you're injured so much that you can no longer even play the game, you know, you lose your leg or, you know, something up. So, anyway, um, yeah, I've gotten to see everything. And and when I look at that, I, I really, um, it makes it really easy for me to like go into gratitude mode, which is a lot of the stuff that I've learned. It's just like, thank God that, like, I mean, literally, if you'd have taken a roster of 15 of some of my closest friends, like, you would think I, I grew up in, in like the craziest environment. Like I, I didn't, I grew up in Northeast San Antonio. It's not like, it's not like, you know, the stereotypical place where like half your friends are dead growing up, but at the same time, like that's, that's where people that I grew up with went, you know, they, they went to those negative parts of life and I was just I don't know what led me to, you know, well, I do know what led me. And I guess that's why I got a little emotional about It's like, I don't know what led me to steal some batteries, get caught, and then like make a decision that would just, the moment I signed on a dotted line, immediately remove me from that environment and take me to a place that will reshape me, like break me down and then reshape me completely. And that's what it did. And so I I got out, I was a different person and I stayed away from all that stuff.
0: And it really does. Go to show that every we are all one decision away from an entirely different life,
1: especially so, if that decision is winning the army.
0: <laughs> well, this is true. All right, yeah. so when you joined the army, you joined specifically to become a ranger.
1: Yeah, was that, that, was your, my, that was your goal. That was my um, opportunity. Yeah, he said, Look, I mean, it's like I, I had two choices. I was for me, I had two choices. I was going to be the navy because I thought the idea of being a Navy SEAL would be cool and interesting. And then I I was like, what's you know, what's the Army's version of that? You know, like surely you guys have something. <laughs> I didn't know at the time. And he's like, oh psh, airborne ranger, man. Uh, here's a guy and he shows me like two people, you know, they have that big wall of photographs. And I look and I'm like, okay, some of the bigger, like, you know, crazier looking guys like look like they went to to go be Airborne Rangers. And I'm, I look at myself and I'm like, I'm just kind of like average height, average build. like. But I think something inside of me more than anything, more than the money, more than the bonuses I could have got, more than like the Navy or Army college fund that I could have got or would have got. Um, I wanted to go somewhere where I would be pushed and see what I was made of, so to speak. And so I was like, OK, I'll do that. And so he goes, I, you know, I can't guarantee you you'll make it, but I can guarantee you a shot. And that was, that was basically like what I had. And so you had to, you had to go there and, and, you know, successfully complete the ranger indoctrination program and all the different things. And if you do that, then, you know, you have an opportunity that that other soldiers may not have. Like if I had just went into infantry and then later I said, I want to be an airborne ranger, it'd be like, you know, well, there's, there's no slots. You can't, (laughs) you can't even have a shot because there's no slots.
0: Well, that's so interesting to me you're an 18 year old kid going down the wrong path mm-hmm. who makes very, very <laughs> a poor choice gets gets caught and that that moment changes your life but you said you had also been toying with the idea of joining the military so how do you go From a kid clearly marching down the wrong path to somebody who goes 180 degrees off from the wrong path to special forces. What's going on in your head to get there? Just curious.
1: I think I've always been a little crazy (laughs) Um, in a good way. You know, like I've always had that. um, I've always been, you know, to the way Tony defined it is at one point in my life, I think in relationship, you know, he's like, you're, you're kind of visually visualizing yourself as a two dimensional person. And I think you have to realize that, like, we all have the ability to be three dimensional, four dimensional, like we, we can have different dimensions. We can make poor choices at certain points in life. And then we can make amazing choices and be at a charity event and really be there and be present and, and like be a part of the cause like the next day. And, and like, it doesn't, you know, it doesn't, you can't just like categorize yourself as this is this person, right? Like any given day, we can make a decision that is different from the day before. And that's what makes human beings amazing and dynamic. And so I would say for me, you know, I've always been maybe on the extreme side. And so um, I was, I, I liked the idea. And I knew that at some point I'd have to grow up. I knew that I, you know, I think even then I knew like, this is not what I want to do the rest of my life, like just the way that I spent my 18th year of life, is like not how I want to spend the rest of my life. But I, I love the idea of I finally got through school. I've had to go to school every year my whole life, and this is kind of nice to have. Like you know, I don't know some version of like not school and a little bit of work. I have a little money in my pocket. I was I was like Matthew McConaughey on on dazed and confused. I'm like might as well keep a little change in my pocket. And, you know, just just um, very carefree. <laughs> you know. And so, um, I think, uh, I knew that I needed to grow up and that's why I had visited the place. I like the idea of becoming a man. You know, they say like, go to the army, they'll make a man out of you. And, and like that idea was interesting to me, but at the, at the same time, like I needed the, um, I needed the significant emotional event and that's me borrowing, you know, from Tony, but I needed the significant emotional event to get me to make a decision to like, to make a change that that's, I think that's a, for transformation in most cases. Like you have to hit that threshold of, I can't tolerate it anymore. Not another day, not another minute, whatever, you know, all that stuff that that's like the the foundation for true transformation. It comes from, you know, I can't do this anymore. And so A
0: leverage.
1: I, I was comfortable. I had, I had every reason to be comfortable living that life. And then it was just like the, the, I don't know, you know, the, the last time, I guess, in, in that instance, that like I got in trouble and, and it just made it really evident that this was not going to get any better and that I really needed to. And, and I think that the emotion in this case, it was embarrassment. The emotion of, of like my ego, kind of like I said the other day, I was like, OK, if I chose to be a delinquent, my, my personality still, my values, my standards are such that if I'm going to be a delinquent, I need to be good at it. Like, I might as well be a good delinquent. Like, I, I want to be, like, successful at being a delinquent. And that's kind of where I was. And so the moment that, like, life showed me that I'm really not that great at it, like, you just got caught for this. You almost got caught for that. Like, all these little incidents that showed me that I'm, I'm really not that successful of a delinquent, like, maybe you should change, you know? Because in the end, like, you're probably not going to, like, be an amazing person moving down the path of being, like, a young delinquent to a middle-aged delinquent to an old delinquent like i mean it's not going to get much better and if you want to climb the ranks in that world then you're going to go down a path of probably evil at some point you know like like if you really want to like what run the mafia or something like it's just it's going to get worse and worse and, and you better be willing to be you know uh frank lucas on <laughs> on the, that denzel washington movie right so if you don't really want to take your life in that direction you don't want to be scarface then, then maybe you should just say like, I need to chase some things that are good, that are respectable, that like, and now even more importantly, that like my son can look up to that like when I, when I am married, like my wife can, can like, you know, be proud of and that my parents can be proud of. And nobody is going to be proud of like, Hey, he's like a really successful bad guy, <laughs> you know? And so, um, so all of those things, you know, um, just go through your head, I think as a young person. And I just, um, I knew I needed that change. And I didn't even know, you know, that was my, that was probably one of the biggest bouts with uncertainty I ever had was joining the military. Cause like the moment I got on that plane and the moment I even had to go to MEPS for my in processing, I didn't even know like what that day was gonna be like. But by the end of it, I was, you know, swearing in and I had a, a departure date. And then it's like, okay, when that day comes, I don't know what it's gonna be like. I don't know where I'm gonna go. I don't even know where I'm gonna sleep that night or any night for the rest of like a four year time frame. Like everything is unknown. I just go where they say, I sleep where they say, I do what they say. And then at the end of it, if I'm lucky, I come out alive. I have some money for college and hopefully I'm a better person on a better trajectory for life. And that's exactly what happened. And, and I guess that kind of feeds into the fact that like sometimes uncertainty is really good for you. you know.
0: Well, everything can be good for us. It's, <laughs> it's what we choose to do with it. All right. So extreme heat or extreme, extreme cold, which did you get to suffer through?
1: Extreme heat. <laughs> <laughs> I think I, I favored the heat. I went when I went when the opportunity arose, but I happened to get the heat cycle. And that was good because I'm, I'm, a, I'm a guy from Texas. And so I was- so You're you know, used
0: to so, that anyway.
1: I was a little more used to the heat. Yeah. I think my body is just like, this is, this Georgia summer is a lot like Texas summer, just in some cases more humid, you know, we have dry heat in Texas and and Georgia, like Fort Benning, Georgia, you know, has a way of having some humid heat as well as dry heat.
0: (laughs) I was going to say, I've been to Dallas in the summer and dry heat would not be one of the words that I would use to describe it.
1: Yeah, well, I'm in San Antonio, but. Yeah. So, I mean, we have our share of muggy days too, but, but I'd say a lot of like hundred degree heat days here are pretty dry, but yeah, <laughs> I, I think it's better than, you know, Corpus Christi, Texas or somewhere by the beach because I'm, you know, which happens to be where I was stationed when, when I made it to first ranger battalion, I was um, at, you know, the beach battalion. We were at in pretty much Savannah, Georgia, which is not far from the coast. And so I made friends with humidity there. And that was where my actual unit was. So when I woke up at five 30 in the morning and we went for a five or a 10 mile run or whatever we did, it was, you know, a lot of times in, in some pretty humid conditions and we got um, we had a lot of what they call sand gnats. In fact, sand gnats are so prevalent that they had a, a baseball team called the sand gnats, <laughs> the Savannah sand gnats. Oh, oh yuck. So yeah, it's uh, they're, you know, like every day at formation, <laughs> it's like, <laughs> there's just tons of little, you know, like almost like mosquitoes. And, and then, uh, yeah, we, we did our thing, but changed my life for sure. Leading others, le- leading others, I think is also, you know, something that grows you as well. Anytime someone has the opportunity to lead others, and, you know, push people to do things, but always be able to say that I never ask anybody to do something that I haven't been willing to do myself. Like, those kinds of things are experiences that I think, you know, grow you no matter what you do, no matter what business you're in, no matter what you do in life.
0: Well, and it kind of goes along with the whole idea of teaching teaches the teacher. Because as a leader, you always need to be learning. I'm not communicating. I'm not getting my thoughts across. I'm not getting the results that I want. How do I need to change? How do I need to meld myself or mold myself to get those outcomes? And that's that's true leadership
1: right yeah yeah nothing grows you like like you said teaching something or you know leading others in difficult conditions you know like my guys like we were used to cold and tired and exhausted and like still having to perform um no sleep like i remember going to sleep in ranger school and they're like <laughs> it's like a cruel joke i don't know how long i slept i don't i didn't feel like i slept at all but like first first night of mountain phase i mean in mountain phase you don't sleep for about four nights in a row i think the whole thing is just like to see what you know see what a soldier does in those conditions that's fine buddy um and so um you don't sleep for four days in mountain phase Florida's the same way like you're so excited when the helicopters come to get you for that field problem that you do and and there's this legend that they bring peanut butter and jelly sandwiches and you're like did you hear like this point, I think like they bring peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. And that's like this big deal because you haven't had anything other than an MRE, you know, in, in you know, many, many days. But, um, I got put into a leadership position, you know, multiple times in, uh, pre-ranger and ranger indoctrination program, not so much, but in pre-ranger and then ranger school. And it's funny, you know, when you're in a leadership position, you get this burst of energy like mental clarity, energy, like everything, because you know that like this is what you have to do now. Um, You're put on the spot to lead. You're going to get your go or your no-go to like make it to the next phase of ranger school or to be stuck there and do it again or worst case to do it again and then fail out and not even get your ranger tab. And then your peers are also grading you because that's one of the schools in the army where even if you do all the things right and the cadre. Or the instructors, you know, give you a go, they also, you know, give like a portion of it to your colleagues. Like, did was he a good ranger? did he do the right things? Would you recommend him to get a ranger tap? And if like, you know, more than a certain amount of people in your squad say no, that guy's a dirt bag, <laughs> then then just they alone can stop you from getting your ranger tap. So it is interesting, but but those moments where I led people when I was thirsty and exhausted and near heat exhaustion and, and I'm still like, you go there, you go there, pull security, you, you know, do you do this, you do that. And those guys are also starving and haven't eaten and expended and exhausted and tired and haven't slept. And, you know, then you really, I mean, that's, that's the true human experience is, is us and what we do when you take, you take all the things away from us, you know, take all of our comforts away from us, and put us in the zombie apocalypse or some sort of situation like that where it's life or death now or the important things. And then you get to see like how people really are. That's the true core, right? This this person's fearful, you know, all those things. Yeah. So anyway, yeah, it was, it was, was, you know, those are lessons that I, I took the rest of my life and now I can see people and empathize with people in a different way, you know, and it's always, it's always served me to know, just to have a little better perspective of like where they're coming from you know and can i empathize with their position or do i think like i can, I, I honestly like i'm putting myself in your shoes and i still can't empathize with you i think you're totally unreasonable <laughs> you know but it's but it, it's always given given you you know that that opportunity
0: it's a whole new perspective of seeing people at their most vulnerable but having to dig deep to mm-hmm not only for themselves, but the people that are around them. And I'm not sure what percentage of the population actually has what it takes. And I'm sure that there are statistics as to what percentage of people enter Ranger School and leave early.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I'm sure.
0: So I give you a ton of credit. One thing you had said earlier, was because of your ranger training and that you always have to be the best and do the best so that when you got to college, if you got anything less than a 4.0, it was a failure when it's clearly not a failure, but the way you were conditioned, you were conditioned that it has to be perfect. How did you come to grips with that or how did that affect you later on?
1: I mean, it wasn't until, you know, I think I always just held that high standard. I I could drop it a little bit and still feel comfortable. Um, School was just one of those places where it was hard to drop it because you're graded on like how smart you are. And I think there was ego and, and significance that came into play there too. It was like, I wanted to feel like I was, even if I wasn't smarter and I had to study more, but like I could outwork them. If I wasn't naturally smarter then I could outwork the students around me. Um, so one way or the other, it kind of gave me, I think, like a little significance from that. And it was also just that conditioning from, you know, ranger school and being at battalion and that sort of thing, too. But um, it wasn't really until way later that I even realized that that was a subconscious belief that I had or like a subconscious mindset. Like, is it even a not even from like an arrogance way or like perspective, but like, is it is it even like a, a surprise that, you know, we flew into the top 1% of realtors in San Antonio, and then just like stayed there permanently. Um, and I think like to be in the business journal, it's like probably the top quarter of 1%, right? It's like, I think maybe now they opened it up to a hundred people, but for many years, it was only top 25, you know, top 25 groups and teams. And so we, we made that top 25 list when it was much smaller. And, and so now like, you know, just looking at it mentally, I go like, it's no wonder that you set your standards to where it's like, okay, this is like the thing that people are keeping score on, and this is the thing that will matter to you and you won't stop until you get there. And, and now it's, you know, I think it kind of comes natural to us because we're used to it. So it is kind of a good standard for us. But um, ever since the Tony, you know, stuff and all the lessons around perfection, I've, I've really started to look at it, you know, uh, quite a bit differently. like you know, um, he says things like perfection is the lowest standard because it gives you an out and you don't have to, you know, like you have justifications for, for different things and you kind of use them to, to, you know, stay really in your comfort zone. And, and so, because technically somebody who, and I, I see it this way now, somebody who needs perfection is going to be scared of uncertainty because there's a chance they could fail. And so now I'm okay with failure. And I, I've even I've even kind of looked at it like, you know, the truth is the biggest successes in the world, whether it's like an Oprah Winfrey or whether it's um, you know, like, a, I don't know, a Tony, a Jim Rohn, um, just all the, all the legendary people. I'm, I'm sure even actors and actresses, you know, like there's this story about Stallone and, and how he got his role in Rocky, you know, like there's so many stories. You could pick one, Colonel Sanders, Um, from Kentucky Fried Chicken, how like he didn't really make it till he was in his 60s. Um, But I mean, take your pick from all these stories. The common denominator that i found is like their psychology led them to where they are because they did fail. People just didn't take note of them until they were successful. So we all see them. I grew up with a lot of these people as like, oh, that guy's successful. You know, he's Rambo and he's this and he's that. But like, I didn't ever... I didn't ever get exposed to the story of like how he got the role, you know, in Rocky, assuming that story is even true. It's just one I've read, but like, I know the Colonel Sanders story is true. And, and I know the Oprah Winfrey story is true. And, and she, you know, being a female being African-American and like in that eighties time frame, that like she really made it where a lot of that was stacked against her more so than it's probably stacked against anybody in 2020. Like I think that there's still challenges for, for all of us, you know, but in her case like you know she had to do she had to be better she had to outperform you know probably everybody to get to where she's at especially now and so I I wasn't ever like an Oprah fan like I didn't watch her or anything like especially back then now I just take note of who she is and what she became and to me like that's what impresses me about her Um, but it's it's apparent that like based on outcomes which is kind of like what we're talking about right it's just like who cares how you got there like the outcome um at least to a degree um is that oprah winfrey did whatever it took and like this is where she's at now and nobody can argue the fact that she had to do it as an african-american woman in the 80s you know pretty much maybe it was like 90s too but like those you know based on statistics you know like those are those are not those were not like advantages, you know, like, Oh man, you're, you're going to make it. <laughs> you're going to make it because you're a female and you're African-American. The world is your oyster. You know, it's like, it's so amazing that somebody like that, you know, um, had whatever it took inside to, to be who she became. And I was talking to another uh, friend of mine that I'm in a podcast with too about um, people, you know, this more like the, the quantum space, but like, people that can step in and own any space that they're in, whether you like them or love them, they're usually polarizing figures. But like we, we brought up Biggie Smalls, the rapper. We brought up Tupac Shakur, the rapper. We brought up Eminem, the rapper. All polarizing, like their content, hate their content. You know, it doesn't matter. The crazy thing is, is like these, are, these were people that like stepped into maybe in their case, the booth or maybe on stage where they had to rap against somebody else but they had to utter lyrics verbally that make most people uncomfortable. And so the average person wouldn't be willing to utter, you know, half of the lyrics that these guys, you know, spouted out, whether again, it's whether it's on a microphone and it's just, do I really want to say this and sing this knowing it's going to be recorded and go out to the masses? No, that's, that's too much. I don't want to be associated with that. It's too scary. It's too much uncertainty. Or whether it's do I really want to get on a stage in front of, you know, hundreds of people or maybe a thousand people and like do a rap battle against this guy. And I don't know what he's going to say and I have to win and, you know, I don't want to look bad. So I have to be willing to say all these things and, and appease the crowd. And, you know, like those people, it's just three examples out of many. But and this is what I teach my son now, too. It's just like those people were willing you can do this for good or evil or anything, but like those people became icons because they were willing to completely dismiss the judgments and opinions of others for their goal, like for the outcome that they wanted. They made their desire for the outcome much more important than their desire to avoid, you know, judgments and opinions of others. And so I I try to like teach them, you know, You want to be a a good person and and, you know do great things but to do so in a big way you can't live life based on you know what's tommy gonna think of me if i do this or or what's you know mom even mom you know gonna think of me if i do this like once you grow up you can make those decisions but you know like you, you need to like be willing to be uncomfortable and live life based on kind of like your podcast you know live life in your own terms you know on your own terms and, and be willing to completely dismiss what other people might say about you if and when you decide to step into your greatness and, and do things that that might make people that used to be on the same level as you feel uncomfortable with you well, know it, like because once they see you grow it's a little scary for them and you just have to let that be
0: <laughs> well absolutely you let it be but you keep your eye on your prize This is my prize, this is my goal, this is my vision, my purpose, this is where I'm heading. If you wanna be on the journey with me, great. I welcome the company. If not, step aside, I got things I gotta do.
1: (laughs) Right, right.
0: So with that in mind, and I I appreciate all of the time that you've spent with me this afternoon. If you could snap your fingers without any work at all, any effort, And change one thing about society today what would it be
1: i would i would i guess i would say i would like for people to use the brain that god gave them and just think for themselves and let the conditioning that comes with everything in their life you know we're all hit with it right like what's on my social media feed is different from yours but like one thing that I, I feel like I do a good job at is I'm able to filter and and understand that anything I'm looking at could just be propaganda for you know what Facebook thinks that I might react to you know like if you know when, when there was a lot of racism and things like like that um, not too long ago like not not racism but like race you know division um, not that long ago. Um, it's not uncommon for Facebook to like, I'm a white guy and they know it. So it's not uncommon for Facebook to show me a scene of a white guy getting beat up by a bunch of black guys. And then I'm supposed to be triggered and go, oh my gosh, I'm divided now. And and I, I don't, you know, all of a sudden my prejudice goes toward not liking black people more because I saw that, you know? And it's not uncommon if you're African-American to, to witness white people doing something and and they put that in front of you, you know, and it's like, you just, I think have to, if you can look at that, and that's a strong issue. So I bring it up. But if you can look at things like that and always understand that, like, that's not the whole world. That's just one video on a feed that, you know, was put in front of me and I kind of have to ask myself, why was that put in front of me? Who decided to put that in front of me? And what's um, their goal? And what's their goal? Yeah. I mean, in in all the different parts of life, right, from politics to, you know, why am I getting this person thrown in front of me with this long commentary about Donald Trump, or why am I getting this, you know, person thrown in front of me with this long commentary about vaccines, you know, like, like, just what is the point of all this, and in the end, can I just maintain my own, you know, uh, model of the world, my own thoughts, like, can I, can I, I guess this is the part that I'd like for people to have. Can can I maintain like a way to respectfully take in that information and then use my own knowledge and everything that has brought me to to this state of being 39 years old with with all the things that I've learned from life and just say like, okay. And yet, even though all this propaganda is put in front of me, like this is still, you know, what I believe. And, and I think if people will allow a higher degree of vibration in like, not all people are the same. You, you can't stereotype people. You can't really stereotype genders. Like, you know, for, for you to say that like one race is a certain way is just like step back and just think of how ignorant that is because what if somebody did that to your race? You know, like, do you really believe, like if I'm a white guy do I really believe that all white people are a certain way No, I've met like idiots I've met wealthy white people I've met poor white people I've met like really smart white people I've met funny white people I've met people that are not funny they're very dry and boring you know and that's humanity and like if we could just look at you know whether it's gender race whether it's I'm a vaxxer I like I believe in the vaccine and I'm passionate about like me getting a vaccine and Maybe a different person says, I'm anti vaxxer. I I just don't think that's healthy. Like, if we could find a way to, you know, to just embrace humanity, I guess, and and like make it favorable for all of us with the understanding that we don't have to go so extreme in some of these cases that are more divisive, then uh, I think it would just be a better world, you know? And and I think it just starts with being more conscious and, and not letting, you know, the media and other things including your own parents you know or or people in your life control your thoughts or even influence your thoughts to like such a degree and or to be able to like filter out like this person is is the type of person that i want to be like so you know i I am going to let this person influence my thoughts a little more because a lot of the things they say have a good positive vibration it's you know it's all the things that this person says i think are better for my life, better for you know my ability to impact the lives of others, better for humanity. It's, they show me better ways to do business, like so. This voice I'm gonna I'm gonna allow to be louder in my subconsciousness, you know, like just to be better at choosing the voices that we allow into our head. If we're gonna allow influence, like make it make it a good choice who you allow into your head, you know, like J- Jim Rohn says, be careful what you put in your coffee. <laughs> Like if you put strychnine in your coffee, even if it's your best friend that does it, it's still killing you. So, you know, just be careful what you put in your coffee and be careful what you let through the the doors of your mind. You know?
0: I think that's great. And I've heard you talk a lot about, you know, the masterminds, the mentoring, the energy vibration. We are all energy and maybe the using our brains and deciding what we're going to put in there rather than letting propaganda decide what's going in there and some advertiser targeting us right turn off the little box you know yeah. and just start to communicate with the people around you cuz that's really where we have the most influence is the people around us and sharing more joy, more happy things. Cause there's a lot of good that goes on in the world, but that's not what the media giants want us to see.
1: So it gets less, it gets less interest. You know, it's like, it's, it's not fun for the average person. Sadly, it's not fun for the average person to, to watch a charity drive, you know, like to watch a hundred kids get clothes or to watch money being given away at St. Jude's hospital. You know, it's just, it's not that fun or exciting, but what they would want to see is uh, that just creates massive emotion is like this place got robbed and three people got shot and the guy got away. And like, here's the scene, you know, exactly. It's like, why, why that is, I don't know, but I, I, I agree. Um, but what's funny about it is I have left. Um, I tend to leave people on my social media, like, not all of them. Like some people, you know, I'll I'll get rid of or unfriend if it's just too much. But like, I noticed that like you know, in moderation, I leave my Trump supporter friends on. Like even the ones that are real hardcore. Um, usually, like maybe some of my prior military buddies that are like hardcore pro Trump and things like that. And then I'll leave my liberal, you know, like um, my my more liberal like Democrat friends on, right? And I bring this up because it's just a divided issue. But I I like. I like the humanity of seeing both sides and their arguments. And I don't really get allow myself to get very passionate about either one because no president that's ever been in you know charge of the United States other than George Bush because I was in combat under him, um, but no other president has really changed my life that much. Like no matter what, I thought, okay, like a lot of people in my life say Obama's gonna be bad. And then Obama's put in charge and I'm like, hmm, you know, like all these people that said like life is gonna get worse. It didn't really change that much. And then we get Donald Trump and there's people like, oh, man, Donald Trump's in charge. It's going to get terrible and so forth and so on. And I'm like, you know, I didn't really notice a thing, really, to be honest, like he didn't really change my life. And maybe I'm fortunate to, to say that. But I think that like that allows me to have, you know, a better understanding of both sides. If, if I if I have friends that are really passionate on both sides, like this is why Donald Trump's amazing. This is why Donald Trump is terrible and Joe Biden's amazing. This is why anti-vaccine is like the way to go. And and like everybody else is a sheep. And then like, this is why vaccinations make sense. And this is the logic and the science behind it. And this is the, you know, the research like all those divisive issues, you know um, short of somebody like, you know being violent or hateful or anything like that. But if they just have passion and it's an issue that's more like a debate I'm like, I'm okay with, you know keeping that in my feed because not because I want to like be passionate with them but because I want to see like the human, you know, the human side of like both, you know, both sides of the issue. And that's been healthy. And and sometimes it's like, wow, that person's really, really, <laughs> that person's really like hates Trump, man. There's, I had, uh, I've had people say like, I'm going to defriend anybody on my page that like likes Trump, voted for Trump, this and that. Like it got really heated, you know, but to me, that was like a cry for help. It was just like, I, I really, you know, I feel like this way because of these issues. And this person is the symbol for why these negative issues exist in society and life per my model of the world. And so, you know, I think that that's kind of what you have to understand is people just do and say what they do and say, because it's coming from their model of the world and understanding that there are different models of the world really allows you to have a massive perspective. And it can also allow you to have massive gratitude when you're, you know, coming coming at the world from a lens of of just a larger perspective and you don't get triggered by the little things. And you maybe I would hope, you know, are able to lead people in understanding things at a higher level and, and helping them, you know, do bigger, better things and, and not focus on the things that are that are so negative, like that really don't bring anybody any joy and just kind of spread hate and paranoia and negativity and divisiveness like there's people that they don't even realize it but they have made that their agenda like can you imagine i have friends like this like (laughs) like i said i don't delete them but just for perspective like 10 facebook stories in a row like if you just went through their stories everything about how the vaccine is like terrible and here's this and here's that it's like you just made your whole life your whole day today really was about a vaccine and how it's like not healthy and you hate it and you know like it's just way too much energy to give a vaccine (laughs) <laughs> like, you know, like, or any other issue for that matter. <laughs> exactly. Most other issues.
0: Well, I have certainly enjoyed hearing about your model of the world and learning more. And <laughs> thank you so yeah, it much.
1: Went it, went, it went long and I, I'm uh, sorry about that. I get a little, I get going sometimes.
0: <laughs> Passion is good. And yeah. it was a great conversation. I, I learned a ton. And like I've said, I've enjoyed watching your journey and I will continue watching your journey because while I have people on both sides of the spectrum as well on my feed, I prefer to keep the ones in my feed that raise my vibration and contribute positively to my life and to my mental state. So thank you for being one of those people. And if you liked what you heard today, please feel free to subscribe like the video and live life on your terms and make it a great day. Thanks Brayson.
1: Thank you.